0: Sadistic Penguin Studios presents the At The Show podcast
1: with Tom Yumper Garcia. Okay, you people sit tight, hold the fort, and keep the home fires burning. And if we're not back by dawn, call the president.
2: And Tony Tulsa Burke I don't know this industry jargon, YP, MP, whatever, okay? All I know is that I cannot get a record contract. We cannot get a record
0: contract unless I take these tapes. It's almost time, so grab a drink. Get your popcorn ready and join the film discussion with two guys from
3: Chicago talking movies.
2: Welcome, everyone, to the At the Show podcast presented to you by the Sadistic Penguin Studios. I'm one of your co-hosts, Tom Yumper Garcia, and I'm with my other co-host, Tony, aka Chalsa, aka the Sugar Baggy, Burton Burt. How you doing, my man?
0: I am doing great, my friend. I
2: am glad to be here. <laughs> so am I. So am I. This uh, this week has sucked extremely, oh, but I'm always happy to talk movies, man.
0: Me too. This is uh, for me, I'm um, gonna be a huge healing process. I lost a, a pet of mine of 17 years a day oh ago, goodness. and this. Honestly, the reason we talk movies and the reason I talk everything is just to have a good time and forget some of those other things. Like you said, the way the week has gone.
2: Yeah, my man. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, what was it? A dog uh, or well,
0: that's the thing is it, it was my turtle. Oh, um, man. And, and you know, and, and I've talked about this a lot, like almost like a stand up joke. Like I, I take it very seriously. But there's also people who are like, it's just a turtle. But, you know, this turtle has traveled to California with me. and honestly. Um, Her uh, brother passed away last year. It's 17 years. So, um, you know, but that being said, this is kind of like, you know, a cheers to, to, and and honestly, you're going to laugh at this really quick. The turtles names um, were Lily and DeRosa after (laughs) Ted Lily and Mark DeRosa, Cubs players from what, 2000 and late 2010s, you know, I mean, that's how long, you know, I had them and stuff like that. Nice. Cool. Pretty awesome. I'm
2: sorry to hear that man yeah losing a pet always sucks uh it does, it does. we lost our um Datsun last year
0: I love Datsun
2: no not last year oh. maybe like four years ago before we got oh. maxed. yeah it sucked oh but, man. man sorry to hear that man oh. hopefully we can uh, cheer you up with some movie talk today yeah huh? let's do it cool so let's uh let's go into our first segment tone let's get into uh what we have um <clears throat> excuse me what we have been watching and I cannot find a thing. Wow, this is the first time for me. Did they delete it off our thing? What happened? Oh, I found it. Here we go. <laughs> That's my bad. Totally unprepared. No, all, right. all right, here we go. That's a meme. And also, what were you just watching? So what have you been watching this week, Tom.
0: Well, this week, um, to coincide, which we like to do a lot here at, at the show, um, to coincide with what is coming up and what is uh, happening, we have uh, Dune 2 coming out this uh, next week. So I went back and revisited um, Dune 1, or Dune, the um, Dune that was released a, a few years back, um, because the first time I watched it was not a fan. Second time I watched it, didn't make it through. This time I watched it, I'm in love. I can't wait. You say, let's go see it. I was like, yes. Um, Sometimes that's how I am with movies. You know, the first time I maybe was sitting down and watching it, I might not have been in the mood or something, but just this last time I really took to it and I enjoyed it. Um, what, What did you think of it?
2: I really enjoyed it. Uh, I love the uh, aesthetics of the film, the, the, basically the way it looked. Uh, I remember the older version, the original version, uh, doesn't really hold up too well and it's not really a great film. Um, I always remember that one being used for like clips of being made fun of. Father? Yeah. But, but now like seeing this new updated version, I really like it. It's kind of crazy that the newer remake is better than the original looking wise and story wise uh i'm also a huge fan of oscar isaac even though he has a small role in this film uh i That's thought it was done great. beautifully Um really excited for the sequel even though they're handing out those crazy uh popcorn tops on their uh
0: popcorn pop. <laughs> they sure are aren't they <laughs> and yeah. uh the second movie that i watched was a new one um the last voyage uh of the detmer dem demeter um a newer horror movie that came out this last year kind of set back from a long time ago um a ship a pretty much honestly it's a a chapter from bram stoker's dracula the book and uh in a roundabout and honestly i enjoyed it it was atmospheric for what it was going for um, a buddy of mine watched it too. He said that the, uh, what was his words is that he didn't care about the, he loved the vampire, but didn't care about the people in the story. And that always makes me laugh because it's like, are you really looking to care about the people in the last voyage of the Demeter? Or are we just looking for a good old vampire movie? And it, it's, it's, I think it, it holds up for that. So uh, have you checked it out yet?
2: No, I haven't seen this one. Uh, actually, you know, I get a lot of my horror movie love for my mom, her like, favorite thing is halloween uh we watched horror movies for all the time she actually saw when she says it was decent uh i gotta check it out it's one of it's on my list i just haven't gotten around to it, it.
0: actually i was going th- it just went up on paramount plus and i and i actually was gonna pay the five dollars for it but i was like it's on here for free now so give it a chance and again it's pretty much what your mom said i mean it's a good Saturday and i put your feet up you're not going to watch honestly it's not demolition man but uh it's it's definitely um you know just something to watch and enjoy and for nothing more of just the vampire in it
2: yeah i definitely check it out i always give horror movies a chance even though they're really really bad i mean it doesn't matter to me i just like to see it um but what i watched this week were two basically like classics i go into you know the vaults every once in a while uh the first one you already mentioned is demolition man uh I saw a clip on TikTok, and that led me down the rabbit hole of wanting to see the film. Uh, I, I remember watching this film as a kid with Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes, and it just was crazy. And it's where, like, it spawned so many pop culture references, you know, from the Taco Bell being the last restaurant to be surviving of the of the food wars. And then you have, of course, Simon Phoenix, who inspired Dennis Rodman to dye his hair. And then of course, you know, we're both from Chicago, Dennis Rodman playing for the Bulls. Having you know when he his crazy hairstyles, uh, just all around like crazy cheesy fun movie that I really liked, and of course Dennis Leary's in it out of nowhere, you know Jesse Ventura plays a small role. It's just totally '90s nostalgia that uh, I really enjoyed. I mean, it's not the greatest like action film, but it's very entertaining to me.
0: Oh, it's a great movie, and again, it's another one that I can see in our next 30 years of doing the show that we may break down all the scenes at one point, because again, it is just a really, 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 really um, awesome movie, and a movie that, in my house, it was pretty much like, you know, it was played all the time, pretty much. Um, I remember specifically, like, watching... Just listening to my dad laugh and think how cool those helmets were that they were wearing when they were uh, getting it on him and uh, (laughs) Sandra Bullock. And then, of course, mentioned the three shells. Never know really what were those three shells and and these kind of conversations. But again, uh, Wesley Snipes and Stallone, top of their game. Um, And as you said, Dennis Leary, great, great movie.
2: Yeah. If I ever meet Stallone, I want to ask him, like, what were the three shells for?
0: (laughs) I think everybody that is a question that is definitely one to
2: ask and then the second movie i watched uh missing football uh you know the super bowl just happened so i went to another old time you know classic that i like to watch probably more of a movie that doesn't get mentioned more when we talk about football and that's the replacements uh it's based kind of off a true story of the, of the washington team with joe gibbs uh, but you know all-star cast of keanu reeves uh, gene hackman you know you have um orlando jones in there just a great uh, cast of characters, John Favreau plays a cop in there that because a swap member that becomes a linebacker, you know, it's, it's hilarious. uh football movie that's really, really enjoyable.
0: Another great movie. Um, Again, another one that came to me a little bit later about eight, nine years after it came out. But uh again, I'm a big Gene Hackman Stan. You're going to find anything that Gene Hackman is and I enjoy it. I've went through IMDB and found movies that I never even heard of. And I'm, love gene hackman so again great movie rise offense is that how you pronounce it does a good job in the yeah. movie too um but again excellent pick um football again a lot better than a lot of football movies that i've seen
2: yeah an awesome soundtrack too yeah like oh, over, yeah. um i love brian's comment best part of the replacements is when the cheerleader is driving him home and she drives like a fucking maniac yeah. <laughs> yeah. it kind of reminds me of uh um uh, the 40 year old virgin when he goes with the <laughs> when he goes with. uh I forget her name. I can't think of her name on top of my head. But he goes. She drives him, and she's singing a uh, um. What song is she oh, singing? She's yeah. some song. She's singing like she's just dancing the whole way. Well, he's, like, right.
0: he's like, that. What did she say? That yeah. asshole came out of nowhere. Yeah. And she's like, that's hilarious. I
2: need you to blow in this so you can drive. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, The Replacement's great movie. If you haven't seen that one, check it out. It's 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 entertaining the whole time. Great music. Uh, John Favreau and Nigel Gruff. The guy who plays Nigel Gruff is probably like my favorite characters in that film.
0: Oh yeah.
2: And I actually got Keanu Reeves a tryout <laughs> with the Baltimore Ravens at the time, which I think is hilarious.
0: That is really awesome.
2: Yeah. But uh, that's what we've been watching this week. Let us know what you've been watching at the At The Show pod or at our Twitter handles, uh, Lo Yumper and The Sugar Baggy. Uh, but we're going to transition into our segment with one of our fellow Penguins and Ass Crew members, Roxy. We're going to get to Never Seen It
3: popular movies of all time sir what what are you thinking
1: what the hell was that
2: miss roxy how are you doing today
1: hello, hello i'm doing well how are you guys and for, actually before i ask that tony my condolences never okay. It's okay. uh don't need to hear the downplay of the animals my friend had frogs oh, yeah. oh, well, okay. well, thank when you. the frogs I passed you know like, amphibians reptiles they all make a difference and uh so, no, especially 17 years. That's like what most, most people don't even get that with, you know, dogs and stuff. And so if they can, you know, they say the dog made that much of a, a, a impression on them even in eight years. So I can't imagine 17. Well, I That's mean, crazy. they started
0: as little quarters and now they're like, you know, you
1: know, like that. So, mm-hmm. you,
0: mm-hmm. and like I said, we moved to California and they sloshed around in the back of a tank in the back of a car. We stopped in Las Vegas. They made it through the <laughs> desert, you know. They're rock and roll turtles and, you know, we're going to honor them with, and honestly, we're going to honor them with this one of my favorite movies right here. This is, this is a great pick.
2: Yeah. So Rox, we talked about this uh, when you did the Science of the Lambs, uh, you know, episode. You talked about, that you never seen Science of the Lambs? And then we recommended seven. Um, I know it's been a little bit since you've been on, but, you know, this is a, one of my favorite movies as well. It's a David Fincher film. And those who don't know who David Fincher is, he directed the social network, uh, Alien 3. Gone Girl, and Zodiac. Uh, he also did a great Netflix series called Mind Hunter, which unfortunately got canceled way too soon. Uh, this film stars Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, Arlie Emery, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kevin Spacey as well. And it made $327 million on a $33 million budget. So it made big time money. I think it was the ninth top, top grossing film in 1995. Uh, so what are your initial thoughts on the film Seven?
1: I fucking love this movie. (laughs) This was so good. Um, So just to be uh, transparent, I watched this movie yesterday. Um, I wanted to make sure that I had as much knowledge about it as possible before the podcast, especially because I do struggle with paying attention for movies, did not have any sort of issue with this movie paying attention. It just grabbed me like right from the beginning. And I think that that there. You mentioned um, when you were talking about Dune, about how it's very like visually appealing in terms of. Uh, I, if I, I, I obviously I've never seen it, but um, just in terms of like probably the color scheme and just the different scenes and stuff. In its own way, I felt like Seven did that too with all how they uh, casted the light upon the characters in their unique um, thin. Spo- uh deaths, but so so like for example, obviously the kitchen scene with the um, I think that was the gluttony, mm-hmm. just how it was like very dark and like it almost made his skin look purple. Like I'm sure his skin was purple, in
3: general, <laughs> but like just the lighting <laughs> the making
1: looked. him look a certain way and everything, and just it really added to like the grotesqueness of his body and stuff like that. I thought that was like really well thought out.
2: Yeah, uh, so the film is actually like based off the writer Andrew Kevin Walker. He moved from Pennsylvania to New York. And when he got to New York, it was like a total culture shock to him. Uh, He saw like the rise of crime where he lived and like drug use. And he basically wrote it into a screenplay. So he wanted to make this like it's kind of like a noir film, which is like those old like kind of detective stories set in the town that you don't know. But it's always raining, which I loved about it. I love the fact that it's so gloomy and it shows like that there's a lot of bad things happening. Uh, for me, like one of my favorite things about it is like the opening to um, Nine Inch Nails. And that was like great done and like, greatly done. You know, they had, and Fincher made sure that for that scene, for that particular opening scene, he wanted to make everything look like the killer made everything there. So that's why he had like all those uh, visuals. And I thought that was awesome how they did that. Uh, also, that's, uh, um, hurt so not hurt uh what's the name of the song that plays tony
0: at the very beginning yeah of the movie um it's not it's not a, hold on a second i'll finish.
2: i i do not i know i know the lyrics it's not
0: one of they're more it's not like a more famous on here hold on a second here but go on continue yeah
2: um but it's very very like uh, appealing and like like visually appealing uh, i love the storyline uh, i think the chemistry between brad pitt and morgan freeman was like exceptional and this is also, like, one of the first times we see Brad Pitt besides 12 Monkeys in, like, more of a serious, like, a gloomy role, um, which I really liked. Uh, so what do you think about that, actually Like, did, did you ever see Pitt, Brad Pitt besides maybe if you've seen 12 Monkeys in, like, kind of a role like this?
1: No, I was I was talking to CPG about it at dinner before this. I am uh, I have seen very few movies with Brad Pitt in them. Obviously, that's the whole thing that was segment. But the only movie that comes to mind that I've seen Brad Pitt in is Mr. and Mrs. Smith because we went to see it in the movie theater. Um and see it's funny you say that, Sam. I don't know if that's because of the movie concept. There was never any part of this movie that made me like uncomfortable. And I don't want to be like, oh well I just like don't have a problem with stuff like that. But I like there was so much visually to like look at and just so much going on that I never had time to like really I think overly analyze like unique like the exact situation because there was just so much going on that i think like it's definitely a movie that i want to watch again to like take in some of the scenes um but to answer your question you know i'm sorry i got off topic mm-hmm. there i have only seen brad pitt in mr and mrs smith and so i was uh, telling cpg about how i really enjoyed that a few things about Brad Pitt's role. One being he's not overly arrogant. He's not overly cocky. There's a, there's a nice balance of like, know what I'm doing, but I'm here to learn, et cetera. But I also really enjoyed that they decided to not go the route of like, Oh, I'm a new detective. And this is like my first big case or something like that. Cause then he was able to like contribute kind of from the start without being like, oops, I made a mistake and now I'm derailing the case. Like with, you know, with the exception of trying to uh, wanting to get into the house, or the apartment before anything, but they had this like chemistry right from the beginning that I feel like was related to the fact that Brad Pitt was not like a new detective. And so I do, Oh no, I also seen Ocean's 11, but like nothing comparable, I guess in the same vein of topic. So I thought he did really well. Yeah.
2: I mean, tell him like uh, to me, like when I think of Brad Pitt, like I think of like him as a really, really good actor I mean, I know he gets uh kind of cornered into the pretty boy, you know, um, love interest of a lot of films, and he did kind of do that in the early films, like Legends of the Fall, you know, uh, Thelma and Louise, he was like, you know, the love heartthrob in those films. But, you know, I, like, I think he's such like an exceptional actor that doesn't get enough credit for, you know, his acting skills. Uh, I know he just recently won an, an Oscar, uh, but, you know, he's done some good stuff. Like California was a good movie he did, um, you know this film he told monkeys is another great film he did you know would you agree tom
0: uh, i would agree um it was closer it was like a remix of closer at the beginning of the movie um, thank you thank you. you we're talking about and also at the very end of the movie a really awesome david bowie song um, that you don't hear very often because in the nineties he worked with like nine inch nails and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But, um, last night I did, I saw you watched it and you inspired me to watch it about the 300th time last night again. And I finished (laughs) it up at dinner today. And, um, honestly, it's again, Brad Pitt. I think I'm here talking the whole time at the dinner table and my wife's just nodding because I'm like, have all these theories about the movie. (laughs) Um, you know, I think the whole movie, I think he's, I you know, for a while, a long time, I thought he was arrogant. I think he's like, he thinks he knows exactly what he's going to be doing. It's it's really Morgan Freeman, I think, is, is the glue that really like, because that whole car ride scene at the end, um, Brad Pitt does 95% of the talking. And Morgan Freeman only says the one. And if you watch Morgan, when you watch it a second time, because this is actually the first time I ever did this, I just focused in on Morgan Freeman. He's looking at Brad Pitt almost like he knows that we're leading down somewhere that we're not going to be able to come back from. And Brad Pitt, he is in, in that moment because he is the police officer and he thinks he has Spacey had telling him, well, you could tell me pretty much anything right now and you're not going to get me, but that's how. Um, life is sometimes is that you get into this cat and mouse game, and the movie is a top ten favorite of mine. So I'm glad you liked it because as soon as um I heard you were going to be watching it, I knew that this was just for you.,
1: yes so- I am very glad that you guys suggested this. I enjoyed it. <laughs> like literally from beginning to end, I was like, this is great.
2: <laughs> so is there like a a scene that you thought stuck out to you in the film?
1: Honestly, it's going to sound cliche because it's like, oh, it's just the ending, but the ending was insane. Like, just so I, my favorite character from this movie was actually Kevin Spacey. Um, I'm not sure if that's unique or if that's if you guys agree, but like Kevin Spacey in this movie was just like the perfect mix of intelligent, awkward, um, like quirky, just this he was playing a character that like super like in my opinion granted i haven't seen a lot of kevin obviously a lot of kevin spacey movies but like that role like he was just so good at it that like i think there's just something to it it just fit really well into the dynamic of what he already does um so the ending when you know uh I only got, like, spooked one time during the movie. And for some reason, it was when that van was, like, absolutely flying down the street to or the dirt road to, like, bring the box. For some reason, I was getting, like, freaked out because, obviously, I didn't know what was happening. I was like, this is, like, this is suspenseful. Like, I I didn't think anything was going to happen, like, while the three of them were in the car or anything like that. But for some reason, that van, like, gunning it down that street, (laughs) I was, like, freaked out. Like, my heart was beating. I was like, what's going to happen? Gonna um But it's a it's a it is a movie that like I did have to have the subtitles on because I the movie does in my opinion kind of they they go kind of to being like the soft sp- spoken guy in the Seinfeld episode to like big things happening so I was reading the subtitles sometimes and like missed the scenes so I would like to go back and like rewatch the movie again just to run through some of those scenes again but the the, the very last one was just so like well thought out and the idea of like when Kevin Spacey's like oh there's gonna be like two bodies and I was like oh there's balloons I was like oh <laughs> Kevin Spacey's
3: the I'm like oh my god yeah <laughs> just
1: genuinely like a genius like well, so I would have never thought
0: of that he, he's great because like Morgan Freeman he, he when he does speak in the car lastly before they get to it Morgan Freeman says something Jesus. about God And then Spacey, instead of like being a jerk like he was to Brad Pitt, he goes, well, God does work in mysterious ways and lurks out the side of the window. Um, uh, Yeah, great. Um, And it's cool, too, because if you were to see this movie in the movie theater, um, promotional, nobody knew Spacey was in the movie. So you would have sat in the theater and been surprised that Spacey was who the killer was, which doesn't happen anymore.
2: Yeah, and Fincher actually uh, made a comment on that. He said, told Spacey, this is not a film that's going to define your career. This is a film that everybody's going to remember you were in
1: it." And, oh, wow! Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, boy, and I true. could not agree more. I also thought it was interesting. Uh, it took uh, talking to CPG about it today too to understand that, like, it didn't occur to me that he wasn't actually like murdering them. Um, if I, if like I understood it correctly, he's he's not actually the one committing the murders and part of if i'm if i am understanding it correctly he's just basically like all but getting them there and i wondered if part of that is because he knows that like murder in itself is a sin and so he wouldn't be accepted into heaven should he have actually performed the killings i don't know if that's like a thing but that's just what my brain was thinking about earlier
2: i mean that's a good theory uh But uh, at the end, he says he he falls to his own sin of envy. And then Brad Pitt fulfills with wrath. Uh, I mean,
0: the way he explains it, like, and I was saying this at the dinner table, was he tried to explain it like he was Dexter. Like, these people aren't really. So you really, only in a world this sick, would you look at me and tell me that I should feel bad that I took these people out. So in his head, you know, these people are bad so he didn't kill just people he killed bad people but like in the end right. like i said to katie he still killed people which is a law and he broke it and that's where yeah we're, i, I love
2: how he tells him uh i know he goes i know secretly you're thanking me for a lawyer <laughs> um so but, just like and, and
1: i oh, i'm sorry go ahead no, no go, ahead, go ahead i was just gonna say i also had uh discussed that um i was curious if he um was in fact suicidal but because he had just like such a great a grim outlook on the world but also like i'm not religious so this might be incorrect but i think suicide in itself is also a sin Mm -hmm. so i'm curious if that although the envy kind of completes the circle i'm wondering if that was like part of the thought process as to like if i don't commit suicide then i will be accepted into heaven because somebody is taking my life versus be taking my
2: own. Yeah, that's actually so. This the the way you're analyzing it is like something I haven't really heard before. That's actually really good. Like it's a, making me think a little bit more about it. I always thought that uh, like because Morgan Freeman kind of tells him in the car like um and Brad Pitt tells him like you're a T-shirt of the week. And he goes, "What I've done will be studied for years and years and years." That's what he tells them. I think he wanted to have what he's doing as a way for people to change or to be celebrated for the way he took out like the sins uh and to be remembered for that uh, and also as a martyr to show that i am uh i'm not perfect which i mean he's obviously insane but, but i think that's what, that was my interpretation of it like what about you Tom?
0: it's 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 kind of a, a lot of all you know it's a lot of um you know it's a lot of all of that you know it's also a little bit i think Just the way Spacey is able to, when they get out to the desert or whatever, and he's in the car, he is 100% selling them that what he has done is, of course, it's okay. It's okay to him. Um, At this point, Gwyneth is dead already. Okay. Morgan knows what Gwyneth has been going through. Brad does not know what Morgan was going through. And that's why, if at any point Morgan could have tackled Brad, and Kevin goes to jail, then Kevin doesn't, Kevin goes insane right there. Kevin screams, Kevin's going nuts because this whole thing is set up for that to happen. So if it doesn't happen, Kevin goes crazy. So like, and that's why the last line in my, the movie, actually the one that made me think the most that Morgan says, he goes, you know, the world is a great place. It's worth fighting for. And he goes, I believe in the second part of that. Because the truth of the matter is, is that here's Brad Pitt, this guy who came to town. Morgan kind of told him at the beginning, you know, man, maybe this isn't one for you. You know, it's not for me. Let's let it go. And Brad Pitt's, no, no, I'm not going to let it go. And sometimes I've been involved in things that people said, let it go. And I didn't. And then I got myself down a rabbit hole that was, couldn't get yourself out of. So it's a little bit of everything. And that's why I love the movie. It's so deep and everyone's explanations are great
1: yeah i think like to your both your guys's points just about like kevin spacey always being essentially like a step ahead part of where i thought also just in regards to the suicide stuff is because like technically even though they had him in the sense of like they knew who he was he still at the end of the day like willingly gave himself up and part of me is thinking that that's because he knew that he was just going to rot in a in a cell otherwise and so this was his way of like completing the cycle but then uh like a, getting in off like it's a three-way thing like he's completing the cycle getting um into heaven because again he's being killed versus committing suicide and then he it's it's happy he's getting himself out of this world that he is can oh, borderline convinced is never going to change and but so like when like, he
0: when, when he walks into the courtroom, I mean, into the thing, mm-hmm. and he says, uh, what does he say, Lieutenant? And he screams. Mm-hmm. At that moment, mm-hmm. if they throw him in a cell and they never go out to the desert, because that's what the lawyer says to them. He goes, my client is mm-hmm. willing to give you everything if you take him out mm-hmm. to the desert. If they say, eh, we're not going out to the desert. What happens then, do you think, to Spacey in that moment?
2: Well, the, the, he threatens. them or he says uh, he'll tell them where the other victims' bodies are, but I mean, only set and Mills can go. He,
0: so he set them up to really be out in that desert, no matter what. Where the reality yeah, is, yeah,
1: like part like, of the, mm-hmm. the reality like is of being is the step ahead. He knew he was going they, that they were gonna do it because they he were like, actually he, he was smarter they than were, they, mm-hmm. they. He was smarter
0: than they were, and that's what's crazy is that he was actually smarter than the people who were chasing him.
2: Yeah, it's
1: totally well yeah, because the last uh, two that. were what? I'm sorry, wrath and it's Envy. Was it Wrath and Envy? Yeah. 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 So like the envy part I think is like they were kind of envying, in my opinion, him because they were like wanting to solve the crime, but like they knew that they had they like the envy was that he was always a step ahead and they wanted to try to get ahead of it. And so they were trying to like outsmart him while simultaneously falling right into his little trap you know so they're just playing a game of like cat and mouse in that regard but yeah once he once the box came and mm-hmm. i finally saw because i've seen this gif obviously of like what's in the mm-hmm. box for like what 10 years now it feels like because for context and this is gonna like age you guys not me but like this movie came out when i was three years old and so like i have i'm 31 I, now so it took me, i imagine you, know, you like, in a little, like
0: a little you're like in the theater next to me at 14 and you're like in this little like walker and we're just like chilling watching. yeah
1: <laughs> oh dude my my mom would have 100 let me see this like <laughs> i like my mom took me to see x-men when i was like seven years old because that's when it came out so like my mom wouldn't have cared she would have been like if you're processing this and you want to be quiet <laughs> then you can go uh but just so seeing it now obviously versus like seeing it like earlier in my life I think that there's just a lot of stuff that I would have missed if mm-hmm. I w- if I had would have seen it earlier so I'm very glad to have seen it at this point point. and uh, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead I was very content with like if I don't ever watch Silence of the Lambs again I very much enjoyed it but I'm content with not watching it and I would genuinely watch this movie any single like instance of somebody being like do you want to watch Seven I'd be like Fuck yeah, I want to watch seven. <laughs> so it was very good.
0: <laughs> it, it, it's pretty amazing. Cause it, it literally, I, you know, I didn't even want to jump to conclusions, but it's immediately, I'm like, you're going to, I wish I was in the room when you were watching this movie because again, it, the movie oozes, like you said, it draws you in. You can't stop watching it. Science of Lambs is a great movie. Don't get me wrong. I've watched, but it's again, it doesn't play like this. It doesn't have that lasting effect for me. So I definitely agree with what you're saying.
1: Well, especially, too, because, and sorry to speak over you yump, like, uh, Silence of the Lambs, as much as there was, like, suspense and stuff, like, you kind of knew where it was going. Mm-hmm. You knew eventually that what was going to happen ultimately happened. But, like, with this, there was never a point where I was, like, all right, this is, you know, heading in a certain direction. I felt like there was enough suspense to be, like, oh, okay, what's going to happen versus just, okay you know they're they're gonna arrest them and you know find the bodies and stuff so that that was the big twist at the end obviously with what was in the box was one of the greatest I think just like spins in terms of like you think you're doing this and then they go like that but it doesn't derail the movie it just feeds right into the whole thing so I thought that was really really intelligent of the what is the director's name again David,
2: David David Fincher David
1: Fincher who and he directed Fight Club right didn't he
2: uh, I, yeah, at least so he did. He yeah, also directed. Okay. Zod- um, he did another uh crime movie called Zodiac, which is really good too. um Oh yeah, that's the one
0: with like Jake
1: Gyllenhaal. Not Jake Gyllen- mm-hmm. no, maybe Jake. Gyllen-
3: mm-hmm.
0: His his follow up to this movie, I Robert like Called. You ever see the game Yump? Yes, with
2: uh, Michael Douglas.
0: Very yeah, good movie. Really good movie. Um, it's you'd love. It's <laughs> another movie that's a mind where you're like, <laughs> that's I love movies like that. You know, these are my favorite
1: type. Well, because. Mindhunter <clears throat> hunter also great show i did watch that on netflix i was like this is a fucking fantastic show and so the psychological stuff is definitely up my alley so you know when you told me about uh when i decided to watch silence of the lambs and then you suggested this i was like all right i can see the trend we're getting on and i'm very glad we're doing it
2: Yep, he did start off as a music uh video director. And then he um his big first role was uh to direct was Alien Three. And I thought Alien Three was not the greatest Alien, but it was good. My dad took me to
0: go see it at eleven. It was really cool. Oh
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm more of a predator girl, but still I love oh yeah. It's yeah, predator. Very, great too. A V P though. <laughs> <Cool>.
2: <laughs> so uh just a couple of like little trivia things about the film. Uh the, it's kind of, i like i said we we both all of us said that we love the cast uh Denzel Washington actually turned down the part of Mills um he thought the script was too dark and evil at the time and he says today he totally regrets uh you know turning that down after seeing the film uh all the books in John Doe's room when they go to his room all those notebooks were actually written with by the writers and they had it took $15,000 to do so and 2 months to get that written out so wow. i thought that was pretty crazy uh mm-hmm. and you know just some more casting news the roles of mills and somerset were actually when denzel washington was attached to the film was going to be al pacino oh, geez. oh god as, um, i don't know about that somerset and denzel yeah. washington as well i can't see them playing it i know al's like comes up in a lot of roles in the 90s and okay. some. i think uh morgan freeman's demeanor was probably the better for the film you know mm-hmm. um I agree. Sylvester Stallone actually turned down the role of Mills and I can't see Stallone playing it or even Robert Duvall playing Somersault. He, he, um, you know, I, I thought it was crazy that Guillermo del Toro actually came out later and said that he was offered the chance to direct this film and he turned it down because he, claimed, he said he's a romantic. He doesn't like to subscribe to the script's dark view of the world. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's pretty dark, but, you know, it would have got... Uh, it would have been crazy if he would have directed. And then one last uh, little trivia nugget here. Uh, Val Kimmer actually turned down the role of John Doe.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That would have been cool.
1: I think that guy who was in, oh, God, who was the dude who played uh, the uh, bad guy in Indiana Jones, the one we all went to? Oh, and, Mads, uh, Mil-
0: Mads Mick- Mickelson. I yeah. think he
1: would have been a yeah. good John Doe also. I can
0: see it. That'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, he he's
2: does. Got play some, he's, just,
1: he's just, yeah, he's just got this like mystery to him that I think is
2: great actor for this girl.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I'm a fan. So, Rox, you already said this film was better than the Science of the Lambs. Did this film make you want to like kind of explore similar type of psychological thrillers like this?
1: Mm-mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't want to go like parasite level psychological <laughs> yeah. fucked up shit because I did watch no. that. I had to, that movie. I had to like take a lot of breaks. That was the first movie I've ever watched where I had to like legitimately pause it and like go outside and like get some sun and pet my dog. Um, but yeah, I, that kind of stuff where there's like twists and turns and it's not predictable. I love that kind of stuff. So this was this was a good start. If that's kind of the the gist of or the trend you're going with
2: cool so if you want to stick with psychological films uh zodiac we can recommend to watch uh identity is another great it's not identity a, is a good one it's not as um deep as this one but it's a good film with john cusack and ray liotta uh about these people who go to a motel and people just start dying off uh it's a really good it's not scary it's more a psychological film if you want to check that one out um mm-hmm. And then people are pushing for you to watch Fight Club. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's understandable.
2: <laughs> uh, that's a psychological. Am,
1: uh, I'm good with any. that. I mean, like the a good psychological film that I also watched in kind of the same. More so because Zodiac, Jake Gyllenhaal was in that. I uh, like Prisoners
3: mm, well, Jack, movie. obviously, yeah.
1: obviously a few Jackman's in it. I'm going to watch it. Um, did you watch that? You I said I did. I did. Yeah. Did you I've, like that one? I did. I, well, saw it in good. theaters, so it's oh, been a while. Awesome. But yeah, if Hugh Jackman's in it. I'm it. My butt's in a seat in the theater. I don't care how that's much. That's the same
0: director comes, as uh, the Dune. The Dune director. It's the same.
1: same oh no! Shit, that's awesome. Cool. And uh, honestly, too, like even though it's not intended to be in like this more like uh, uh, like suspense kind of thing. Uh, the Prestige I think also has that same oh, kind it's of. It's a great film. It's a like, very good film. Like I, I think. Uh, him and Christian Bale do a fantastic job. And I also think David Bowie did really well in that as well. Um but yeah, any of those, I'm down to watch Fight Club. Um I have no I mean, maybe we what if we this is just shooting from the hip here. I know Fight Club might win, but maybe we can do a Twitter poll and let Twitter decide. Okay.
2: Sounds okay. good. To me. Cool. Yeah, we can put that out. So, we'll put it out after the show today.
1: But maybe maybe we'll throw in like a mystery fourth one so that there's like a little bit of i'm totally just like making things up it's your show and i'm just no, like no, no, hey no. let's do this <laughs> but because most people are going to vote for fight club in my opinion but i would like there to be maybe like one other movie that would make fight club a little harder to pick from
0: oh i can come up um, with one of those
1: yeah but i'm down to obviously like whatever but i think maybe away. some of that let the fans watching the show the subscribers pick something okay. from there if that works for you guys well, at least i like it
2: yeah, don't put whiplash over. <laughs> Sam Sam, you just gotta watch whiplash, man. <laughs> I know I think you wanna watch it. That's why you keep pulling on your I've
0: told you them. to watch it the last four times and you haven't picked it one time and it hurts my feelings. <laughs> you just
2: gotta watch whiplash. it, man.
3: Whiplash.
0: It's with
2: um Miles uh, Teller. Miles Teller and uh, JK Simmons. JK Simmons who looks like my father in law. Like <laughs> he really? Like, I gotta yeah. meet him. That's amazing. <laughs>
1: That's funny. I mean,
0: I'll watch Whiplash. At yeah, Whiplash, story, you'd yeah. like music fan, you'd love it.
2: It's yeah, a it's a it's movie. a it's good. Int- film. It's
0: really intense too. Yeah, J.K. Cool. Simmons
2: won an Oscar for the film.
0: Uh, That's awesome.
2: But yeah, th- Rox, uh, yeah. thank thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and it's not just our show. It's our it's not just me and Tony's show. It's our show. When you guys, so you know, you add a lot to it. And you know, we love doing this segment with you. And we love you know <laughs> hearing your experiences on these films that you've never seen before.
1: Yeah, this has been great. It was funny. I was like, at the first thought of doing this, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm just throwing this out there for content, but I'm genuinely enjoying this because it's like opening things up and like the dialogue that we had. And like, even just when you were mentioning like that, I brought an idea that you hadn't considered before. That just means a lot because it's like just being comfortable, being able to share the idea. And it's like, you know, it, it sparks a conversation. I feel like that I can always get that with you guys. So I appreciate it.
2: No, we appreciate you too. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: Cool. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Have a great weekend, guys. See you and
2: later. You have fun at the show. Yeah, See you. have fun. Do this. Yeah. So uh, we will be putting out a poll. Tony, you are the poll master, so you're gonna put that out for us we will. to get for uh, Roxy to do her next uh, review on. Like, I really like the segment because uh, you know um, I love Jack's segment as well because Jack always brings something new. But when Rox like her first experience of it, you know, it just it it really brightens my day because it reminds me oh. when I first saw the film
0: like yeah, me too
2: like love or hate i just like to see her reaction to it so uh
0: yeah i mean that's my favorite thing about watching movies my wife has like a seven year span so we've been dating 13 years i show her movies she's like this is great i go i showed it to you 10 years ago she's like really <laughs> so like i love uh showing people movies and getting that first reaction to them so it, it, it's awesome
2: that's funny because uh my wife i always i'm like hey have you ever seen this movie she's like i think i watched it with you that's her response all the time because i watched so many movies and I'm like. <laughs> I don't think you've seen it with me. this what be came out like recently. Well, the
0: thing is, is she says she's watched at me and I start becoming Mr. Quizman. Uh, <laughs> who was the actress? And she's like, I don't know. I go, you didn't watch it then. We got to watch it again. And then
2: uh, but, uh, <laughs> if I tell my wife who was somebody like she would not know any actresses or she's really bad with names.
0: Katie's like that line in, in the movie Blow where he's like, I went in with a bachelor's in this and I came <laughs> out in a master's in cocaine because yeah, like she came into this woman. relationship not knowing many movies. I just overheard her say she watched Brooklyn's Finest, this not very good movie. And I'm like, if she watched that bad movie, I can get her to watch all these great movies. And then we started dating.
2: Yeah, wait, you guys watch a lot of movies? I
0: know. That's no, crazy. I, I never, no, never.
2: Yeah, so uh, be sure to check out Roxy at the uh, All Sports team as well. Uh, she writes some great content over there. And they do the ass cast every Thursday, as well as What's Up Your Ass on Tuesdays, which is probably one of my favorite shows to watch because it's totally like off the cuff. Uh, you know, they just did a great episode with Josh Nelson on society, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, but yeah, be sure to check support her there as well as Statistic Penguin Studio. She does some articles for us as well. She's one of our writers, and she's awesome. Um, but Telen, we are going to get into our main event of the evening. Uh so a film that both of us love. Um, would you like to expand upon it?
0: Yes, tonight we are going to be digging into the great um My Cousin Vinny. Uh, The reason we're going into My Cousin Vinny is because with the Oscars coming up in a few weeks, we've decided that, well, we're here to celebrate it. And tonight we are doing so with Marissa Tomei, who won for this movie. And the Oscar goes to Marissa
3: (laughs) Tomei and My Cousin Vinny. There you go.
2: Yes, and uh, there will be some more information about that in the show so uh that's awesome i love that you brought that up because we didn't talk about what Tone, see tone's been taking over the uh clips and audio while um, i get my computer fixed and he's doing an excellent job so it's kind of fun and seeing him put in the little clips and sound bites now that i usually do um to go along with his awesome presentation so that's awesome uh, <laughs> but yeah this is one of the movies that you know i remember watching randomly uh with my dad and my brother and the first thing that popped into my head was I saw Ralph Macchio and like the karate kid. And he was in the movie where he was not playing the karate kid. So I was like, oh man. So it really got me into, you know, law and like just get my, you know, passion for just learning about the law. When I, re- I was a big, huge law and order nerd with um, Jerry Orbach, I loved the original show. And then, you know, you had Benjamin Bratt in that show. I love that show. The original one was always my favorite one. To watch last and,
0: night was uh the Sam Watterson's last episode on Law and Order, and oh. I tuned in. It was was there, actually this new season, it's my mindless Thursday TV that I'll put on just in the background. And you know, I've always been a big fan too, so I get that.
2: yeah, Sam Watterson, uh, another good, um, great actor, television actor, doesn't get enough credit for his uh acting ability, nope. um, but yeah, so My Cousin Vinny was like one of the great, you know, great films that I like to watch. Uh, when was the first time you saw this film, Tom?
0: Uh, I saw this film probably around 14 15 years old. Um, it was a couple of years after it came out, but again, um, uh, Marissa Tomei. I at this point have seen someone earlier brought up on the Twitter a movie called Untamed Heart with her and Christian Slater. Um, a good performance. Um, I'm a really big fan of this movie called Four Rooms with Tarantino's involved. Yes, Robert she's in that. Um, she's in a lot of stuff that I enjoy and. I wanted to tune to this because Joe Pesci is someone else I love. And I grew up in a Munster's house. So Fred Gwynn, you could sign me up for anything that he's in. And it, it, was, it was great. It's a great movie. Um, often heard a lot, a lot of lawyers. I've heard um, actual lawyers say that this is actually one of the closest movies um, in relation to an actual, like a lawyer movie, as opposed to like The Firm or something like that with Tom Cruise, you know. So it's kind of cool to hear from a lawyer
2: yeah uh, a few good men's another great film uh sam put out he has not seen this film yet so he just want those spoilers so sam we're gonna go into the development of the film basically we're gonna go into talking about how the film was made uh you might want to skip the film breakdown and come back and watch that because we go through a real deep analysis of every scene oh.
0: Hold on, before we go on here, uh, Brian mentioned uh, untamed heart is such nonsense, he is not wrong. We would make these jokes because Christian Slater gets a baboon heart in this movie, yes, and them. um, we would just, me and my friends would make these. I don't want to say they were jokes because now maybe making they were kind of a, as a kid, maybe since sensitive, but thinking a baboon heart could uh, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, save his know. life. Well, I
2: mean, he he kind of has like a child's mentality with it because he tells a story about the, the baboon king and then the gold, and it was just so, it was like that part. I remember watching that film. Like, I actually liked that film.
0: Yeah, it's not a bad movie. I actually rewatched. It yeah, that, 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 that film in there, uh, the
2: part where he does that. Like, I remember watching him. Like, where the hell is he going with it? It was so random. It was. Um, it was. But you know, yeah, uh, the dickhead from son-in-law as a prosecution is for now. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Um, we'll have more story about that. But, uh, Tone, let's get into our development of the film. Do it. In my thoughts, I use the technique of positive visualization. So the film was actually written by Dale Lawner. And he came up with the idea for the script and he was talking to a man waiting for his bar exam results. He was a student in college and he happened to walk into a, a room and saw a guy waiting for his bar room, his, um, bar exam results. Uh, he told ABA Journal in 2012, in the very early 70s, I met a guy who had taken the bar and was waiting for the exam results. He asked the man, what would happen if he didn't pass? And the guy basically responded, he would take it again and again until he eventually passed. So he asked him, What's the most time somebody has taken and failed and finally passed? And Lana remembers the guy saying 13 times. And he says, i have always thought that a guy who took the bar 13 times or girl who took it is probably out there practicing law in some capacity. Now, would you feel if somebody, suddenly you learned that the guy is your lawyer or woman is your lawyer? What if you've been accused of a crime and clearly you have what appears to be the worst lawyer in the country? And that kind of spawned his thinking of creating a film uh, based around it, a screenplay based around it. Now, Lawner did have some success doing Dirty Rotten Scoundrels uh, previously. And this was just something that, you know, was his pet project on the side that he thought of earlier and decided to develop more. Uh, to research the script, he decided to take a road trip through the South. He started off at New Orleans and then went through Mississippi and Alabama. Uh, this trip added a lot of material to the film. Uh, his car got stuck in the mud. Uh, grits was on every single meal that he ate down there in the South. Uh, even owls screeching at night that were, uh, you know, some experiences that he was having. Um, he even went to the district attorney of Butler, Alabama, Doug Null, and wanted to learn everything about the law. Uh, he learned you didn't learn court, criminal court procedure from law school at the time, as it is taught to you by the firm that you're hired on, by or you learn by going to court yourself. Now, uh, shout out to Celeste Spaghetti because she's our, you know, show lawyer. And I wanted to see, you know, is this still taught this way? You know, where you learn procedure outside of you know the actual law program. And she told me that uh, today, some schools require you to take criminal procedure, uh, while some others require criminal law. She goes, but most of the lawyers she's spoken to have taken criminal procedure as an elective. Um, so that's more of a thing that's going now that it's offered. Well, I thought it was kind of crazy that at the time he said that. You know, criminal procedure wasn't offered by the schools, and you had to learn on your own or by the firm. That's kind of crazy, right?
0: Yeah, that's really crazy. Really, really crazy when you think about it. Yeah,
2: so that's just just strange. Um, this inspired, you know, of course, the Vinny character not knowing criminal court proceedings, and as we learn later in the film. Uh, Lauder wanted to learn as much about the law as he could. That's why he was doing this trip. That's why he was meeting with Doug Null of the attorney of Butler, Alabama. He wanted to learn so much that he could. T- just weaving it into his his script. He also was a huge fan of Sam Kenison, which I thought was funny when I do research for this. And San Kinison, if you guys don't know, is a, a comedian that used to be known for screaming into his mic and his jokes. Uh, his probably most predominant role is probably in back to school as the history teacher, Professor Turgensen. Uh that, that scene where he just goes off on the girl. for uh, Vietnam, Her answer to Vietnam makes sure. me laugh. Um also another uh, comedian that died too soon uh, by a car accident. But he was also known for going back and forth with hecklers. And he wanted to write this aspect into the main character of Vinny. Uh, the Mona Lisa character played by Marissa Tomei. And her relationship with Vinny was inspired by two friends who were in a relationship. Uh, and they always had fiery exchanges that Loner kind of just picked up on and incorporated to his script. So it's inspired a lot by his... Experiences that he had going through, you know, life, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, after finishing his research trip, it took him about six weeks to write the screenplay. Uh, since Loner again had wrote 30s Rotten Scoundrels, and that was a hit at the time, uh, this was destined to get picked up. Twentieth uh, Century Fox picked this up, Tom, and upon having a meeting with President Roger burbham and Vice President riley Ellis, Loner spoke of his experience to Rolling Stone. Uh, He says, I remember my first creative meeting with Roger Bilbaum, who was a president of Fox and Riley Ellis, who was a senior vice president. I remember word for word how Roger started the meeting. Good work. Very funny. Good work. Do you think you could cut out the character of Lisa out of the movie? She has so many great lines. It'd be great to give those to Vinny since it makes her look smart. I laughed and said something to the effect of, that's a little like saying, I like the script of Easy Rider. You think we could cut out the lawyer? (laughs) Roger, you just pointed out the best thing in the script. What do you think about that Tone? that this, they wanted to cut out Mona Lisa?
0: Uh, you know, again, you know, it's, I hear a lot more, probably, honestly, I could be wrong, but it seems like a lot more probably this is going on now than it did, you know, luckily people got the fight back then and luckily the character stayed, but uh, she's not in this movie. I mean, it's, it's obviously it's like 50% is good, you know, cause she's not in it.
2: Yeah, and that's, like, just think about now, she was such a pivotal, you know, crucial role her part she plays in the film and, like, the balance of her and Pesci. And it's just crazy that they really wanted her out. So Lawner, of course, fought back against this. And they were like, okay, I think they they basically were like, okay, we're going to pick up a script and we're going to find ourselves as director. So the rumored director to have started this was Danny DeVito. He was supposed to star and direct he was gonna play Vinny. Uh DeVito was a hu- wasn't a huge fan of this script. Lana remembers meeting him for you know a one-to-one and he said that uh DeVito was like this this script doesn't have a lot of go in it, meaning that you know he wants a lot more action, a lot more fluidness. And he's like, a lot of go. He's like, yeah, it needs a lot of go. <laughs> and he's like, oh okay. He's like right then and there he knew that DeVito's heart wasn't into it. And Danny respectively, he's dropped out. He's like uh you know maybe it's not for me. Uh, so Fox went and hired a British director named Jonathan Lynn to direct this movie. Now, a little bit back history of Jonathan Lynn is he actually has a law degree and oh. was really crucial to insisting the film's legal proceedings were realistic. So he was really big predominant on having everything look as it would in real court, the proceedings to be done like real life, which I think is really, really a great key to the, how the film flows and like the authenticity of the film. Would you
0: agree? I would definitely agree. I mean, now when you say it like that, that's exactly why it it flows the way it does So when they hired
2: Lynn, here comes the studio, they again asked him to write a revised screenplay. Uh, this was due to Lonner. they said because he was working on another film called Love Potion Number no. nine at the time mm. and the fact that the original script was three hours long. whoa. so the studio had cuts. Uh, they wanted to do to the script Uh, parts that were cut was Vinny saying he was dyslexic which I think completely turns around the whole story as you understand why he probably failed the bar so many times Uh, and it's another reason why he doesn't want Lisa's help in the film because basically he doesn't want to be perceived as stupid he wants to perceive as he's smart Uh, which I thought you know that that was a crucial part I thought they should have kept in
0: yeah i mean i could see that i mean when you're uh i mean the first part like you said being dyslexic you know that Mm -hmm. that could make it it different but the other part definitely
2: definitely. yeah and then another part was Vinny was supposed to be a heavyweight boxer that was cut (laughs) uh so the persona of Vinny was totally different um the mud in the face and the the board scene with the car that was added by lynn and lawler didn't like it he thought it was slapstick and he didn't think it was just like for gags. (laughs) <laughs> um, another thing cut was Bill's mom you know and this as we go into the deeper built breakdown you know we wonder why Bill's mom's not there you know he calls her but she never comes and there was actually scenes that were about to be filmed about her having a heart attack that you know were f- thing, about to be filmed and then they decided to be cut because they said that the film was already too long as it is you know back then this is when movies were not three hours long they were usually 90 minutes to you know 90 to maybe an hour 45 and you know they didn't want to make it any longer so they wanted to cut down as much as they could um of course these changes did not sit well with Lana and and they argued and it caused a lot of t- tension between the two uh which they have made up but at the time it caused a lot of back and forth with them which to me is that the studio is already starting off on the wrong foot you know having the director kind of do the bidding for them over the writer well, i agree But we get into casting. So Vinny, we already said, was considered by Danny DeVito to direct and also to star as Vinny uh, when that didn't work out. But when Vinny was portrayed as a former boxer in the film, they were looking for somebody big. And Andrew Dice Clay was considered. Uh, The Dice Man was huge at the time. If you don't remember him, he was really big. The man sold out uh, stadiums all over the country. Uh, His comedy is still pretty funny to this day. Uh, Still raunchy, but funny. Um,
0: adventures of ford fairlane his yes movie he released
2: also a brain
0: smasher a love story (laughs) that that was that was yeah yeah uh
2: also at the time the studio vice president riley ellis was dating his manager at the time and she met the dice fan and during the interaction he said something horrible to her oh well (laughs) she went she went to launer and shift the casting director and said yeah, can you guys kind of take him out of consideration?
0: <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: So the Dice Man, his uh, his chance to be Vinny was thrown out right there because God knows what happened. But yeah, he was kind of cut loose there. Uh, so Peter Falk was actually considered for the role. John Lovitz was considered for the role. another uh I know that you love this guy. Jim Belushi was <laughs> considered for the role. And Robert De Niro were all considered for the role of Vinny. Uh, De Niro was really wanted by Launer because he wanted an Italian-American to play Vincent Gambini. Um, The funny thing is, Belushi was very close to making it happen. He was almost cast, but he decided to pass in the film due to being connected to the original League of Their Own film that was supposed to be filming. And then, as we know, Tom Hanks actually took over that role. Uh, (laughs) Later, Belushi said that he regretted passing on it, and I'm very happy he did. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it goes from being what we know it to be from being like his follow-up to canine you know something really not remembering remembering spies so yeah definitely glad that happened yes
2: and uh when de niro's was being talked about the studio president again you know peeked his head in and said oh why would you want De Niro? he's not a comedic actor and it, it kind of seemed like a pipe dream for Lawner. so when they were balking at him doing the role Lawner and Schiff, the casting director, decided, let's start turning our attention to maybe uh, Joe Pesci. You know, Pesci had just come off Goodfellas. Well, he was actually still filming Goodfellas, but he just came off uh, Lethal Weapon 2. You could do comedy. Uh, Casting director David Rubin loved the fact that Pesci could play a tough guy due to his roles in Raging Bull, Goodfellas, and Once Upon a Time in America. And he also loved that he did comedy movies like Home Alone and the Lethal Weapon series. Easy Money? Uh, yeah, easy money. Uh, <laughs> Pesci used his inspiration for Vinny for Friends of the Neighborhood. Uh, from Friends of the Neighborhood, so a lot of the stuff he got as Vinny the portrayal is from his friends in the neighborhood, which I thought was pretty cool. So we have our Vinny, Vinny is set for Bill. Uh, this made me laugh doing research. Ben Stiller auditioned for the role, oh, um, Ralph Macchio's agent sent videos in to for the role as for him, um, auditioning. And Lin loved it. Jonathan Lin was a big fan. He wanted to work with Ralph. Uh, but the studio thought Ralph was kind of old news. They said, uh, that's the Karate Kid. You know, we're in the 90s. I think he doesn't do... He shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny because he's having a resurgence as the Karate, karate Kid in Cobra Kai, which I think is hilarious. Um, and eventually, you know, it worked out to where he was cast. Stan, his friend, Will Smith actually auditioned. Uh, but Michael Mitchell Whitfield had a great audition as well, so it was between them two. Uh, Mitchell Whitfield will go on to say, "This is the only role he beat out Will Smith for, and probably the only role he ever will beat out Will Smith for." Um, eventually, they decided to go with Whitfield, and I thought this was very interesting because the original thought was, even though St- Stiller didn't have a great audition, they were still considering going pairing him and uh, Will Smith as the roles of Stan and Bill. Um, the casting director thought you know, casting an African-American as an unjustly arrested man in a deep South would kind of kind of change the tone of the film. Um, Hence the reason Smith and Stiller weren't cast. Because he's like, you have a Jewish man and an African-American man. We're trying to make a comedy. We don't want to make serious. Skills. And that's kind of like a serious tone. So they kind of pulled back on that, which I understand yeah. why. They also said you know, they didn't want to put too much pressure on Wilson. So he was a great actor, but they didn't want to put too much pressure on him to have to carry the load of try to make his film as a comedic film instead of a uh, more serious film, which I thought was pretty crazy. Um, For the role of Jim Trotter, Mr. Trotter, (laughs) uh, Lane Smith was automatically cast because he resembled the DA Doug Knoll that Loner has spoke to. And the funny thing is when I was reading the interview Loner was talking about, he said when he was talking to Doug Knoll, he said thought in his mind, man, this guy really, really reminds me of Lane Smith. If I make this movie, I'm casting Lane Smith. (laughs) So he automatically was, you know, in like sin, as I say. For the public defender of John Gibbons, who is probably one of my favorite parts in the film, uh, they went with Austin Pendleton, who at first was really hesitant of taking on the role um, due to the fact that he had a real stutter in real life. Uh, And when he was reading the script and saw his character stuttered, was kind of uncomfortable that he didn't want to be typecast you know he wasn't an accomplished actor but they took him out to dinner and he said after the second bottle of wine he's like all right all right i'll do it i'll do it let's do it you know and unfortunately for him he was kind of typecast for a little bit uh but he's still acting he just did a play you know stephan he's 83 years old just did a play uh last year for stephan which is pretty crazy but yeah he does he's magnificent in his role um for sheriff farley with the great bruce mcgill Ah, uh, Bruce McGill's actually a golfing partner and buddy of Joe Pesci, and when Joe Pesci was cast, he kind of had final say on the uh, the casting. He said that he went to go golfing with Pesci, and Pesci's like, "By the way, you know, I told him you got the part. You know, you I, I signed off on it." And he said he got on one knee and kissed Pesci's ring. And said, "Thank you, Godfather." And she's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> like he said. So he made he, uh, you know, it was like a joke between them two, and he cracked up about it.
0: Bruce McGill should have got a supporting actor nod for Last Boy Scout. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's great though. I mean, he just blows up from the beginning though i know that's well just his his their little back and forth i mean but to be fair i mean what movie was it? gary sinise got one for the green mile and he just sits on the porch for like 10 minutes and yeah
2: that's a kind of those throwaway you know i know know, i know no but i like bruce mcgill um i think he's amazing he's actually in uh the new reacher series in the first season uh he sure is yes does a great job in there as well um we're going to
0: we'll we'll go over it at a later date but uh, we should do something with uh you watching the tales from the crypt uh old series cuz McGill's in one Joe Pesci's in one and um you know great actors oh yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. could do a whole episode on Bruce McGill I love Bruce McGill
2: we got last left planned for like to go into not just oh, yeah. film but also series as well which uh, I'm really looking forward to um for the role of judge chamber holler Christopher Lloyd was considered for this role uh, actor Fred Gwynn was actually very good friends with Joe Pesci and he was cast for the role. Uh, Pesci gave his blessing to it. Uh, although Pesci didn't really at first when he was cast and they started filming, he didn't like the way he portrayed it because Fred Gwynn was actually portraying it as Eddie Munster. <laughs> as not Eddie <laughs> Munster, as um, Herman Munster yeah. from The Munsters. And, you know, Lynn uh, Jonathan Lynn, the director, pulled him to the side and told him, you know, Fred, we kind of want, uh, we kind of want you to... um be more serious and he's like oh he's like I thought you wanted uh you know Herman Munster he's like no 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 we want to be you to be serious for this uh which I thought was pretty funny um Pesci actually when he was filming with him and he was doing the Herman Munster he was like ah this guy's too you know he's not he wanted Wilford Brimley <laughs> and Bruce McGill who was good friends with Wilford Brimley said Yeah, Wilford Brindley wouldn't have worked out because he would have been straight. Like he wouldn't, you wouldn't have the comedy uh, interaction and chemistry between two. He goes, like, he would have played it straight. He goes, and I don't know if Joe could have played a fed off that. He goes, He goes, the movie needed Fred Gwynn. And just to do like a little background on Fred Gwynn, you know, on the set, he was known for telling stories to the craft services. So after they would finish filming, he would stand around and talk to the craft services and tell them stories about his past life, you know, his past you know films all the roles he did like just ex- his stories drinking and smoking and like instead of going back to his trailer and everybody loved him uh this is what of course one of the you know final films of his career he eventually passed you know unfortunately passed nobody knew he was sick uh i love the story that mitchell whitfield tells um about fred Gwynn. You know, he told the rolling stone uh, the original game boy came out right around this time and during lunch break at one point, I was playing Tetris and Fred walked by. You can imagine the look he gave me. He just raised one eyebrow in, what, in a way that was somehow both frightening and humorous. He walked past me, backtracked and was like, what is that? I said, oh, it's a Game Boy. This is Tetris. And then I showed it to him and how it worked. The shapes drop and you move them. He goes, can I try? I gave it to him. He's so big that it looked like a piece of chewing gum in his hands. <laughs> he was just this huge guy and he's hun- hunched over playing, a- playing this game. He gave it back to me and said, I'm going to get one. The next day he came in and was playing Tetris on his own game boy, smiling and nodding at me. That's an
0: amazing. But, song.
2: I, I, Fred Gwynn is like one of my favorite. Oh, like yeah. I, I watch anything with him and I love the monsters as a kid growing up. So uh, I'm really happy. You know, yeah. Pet right. Cemetery. Oh, I'm, Dude, that's not a great film. Uh, He's awesome in that film too, Um, but I'm really happy they kept him on. Uh, The the uh, role of Mona Lisa Vito, who uh, as we learned, the studio wanted to cut, but was getting pushed past on. Uh, Lorraine Barocco was actually offered this role, and she passed on it. Uh, You know, Lorraine Barocco's from Goodfellas. I'm kind of glad she did. I I couldn't see her doing this role.
0: Um, No, no.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Could you imagine? Imagine no,
0: no i'm just thinking a good fella some of her scenes yeah like, when she's crying.
2: yeah i like her but I, it's just no, no it wouldn't have
0: worked. it wouldn't work
2: um hip-hop singer and actress carol davis was considered she was good friends with Aloner, and he told her about the script and he was saying he told her hey i'm down in butler alabama for some field research and i'm doing i'm looking for this role of Mona Lisa Vito, and I think you'd be good for it. And she's like, you're down in Butler, Alabama. And he's like, yeah, I'm doing research for his film. And she gave the role the famous quote, I bet the Chinese food is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so he, even though she didn't get the role, he kept that in the film, which I love. Um, no one was panning out for the part until Lynn was called by John Landis, who was asked him to come to the set of Sylvester Stallone's film, Oscar. He was filming the film, uh, directing the film, and they were tearing down sets. and He wanted Jonathan Lynn to come. see, like, "Dude, look at these sets; they're awesome. Come, come check them out before they tear them down," which he did. Uh, when he arrived, he saw a girl playing a flapper girl doing her scene, which turned out to be Marissa Tomei, who was unknown at the time. Uh, Lynn and the casting director thought she was perfect for the role, but knew there would be pushback due to Tomei not being known. And the studio really pushing for a big star to take the role with Pesci. Um, they remedied this, though, by having the studio screen test their three top choices. And then had Tomei screen test as well. So they have four screen tests. They then brought the screen tests to Pesci while he was filming Goodfellas. <laughs> um, Pesci automatically thought, he's like, yeah, Marissa Tomei, she's the best one. I would love to work with her. And then when they presented it to the studio, of course, the studio picked somebody different. And after an hour and a half of fighting between themselves, they pulled the trump card and said, you know what? Joe Pesci wants Tomei. And they're like, yeah, we're you know, it's your film because they're not going to fight against the star of the film. Oh. And the, basically the subject was, you know, closed at that. That's, that's pretty funny how they outsmarted the studio there.
0: That is. That's great.
2: And like we said, there was some tension between Lawner and Lynn with the script writing. There was also tension with Lynn and Pesci as a director, which I thought was pretty crazy. Uh, Bruce McGill recalls um, some tension between the two, telling Rolling Stone, One day Joe stormed off the courtroom set. Any courtroom tragedy or comedy is tedious because they need to set up a lot of shots from a lot of different angles. You just get tired of it. Something happened, and Jonathan laughed, and Joe just turned and said, "What do you think I'm here to entertain you?" Which is totally like a Tommy <laughs> he, he said he threw a bit of a hissy fit. He said, "Find someone else to shoot. Find something else to shoot. I'm leaving." And he actually walked off the set. The crew left Pesci to calm down and moved on to something else. And Miguel said, "I was getting ready to change out of my wardrobe at the end of the day, and I hear a knock at the door." It was Joe. He said, Bruce, Bruce, come here. Was that bad? I said, It's nobody's favorite thing, but you said to find something else to shoot, and we did. I don't think it's any big loss on the day, but nobody liked it since everyone is uncomfortable when somebody gets crabby. That's the only time I, it's like that something happened. So, Pesci, was, and there's like all those little stories of Pesci and uh, Lynn, basically, Pesci dressing them down about stuff. And Joe has been. Uh, you know, his career, he's been a little tough to work with. Oh, yeah. So I can see why he was having, you know, some issues. But, I mean, it's just kind of crazy that you would think this film was, basically had, like, all, you know, all shits and giggles, but it turns out it wasn't.
0: No, and that's what's cool when we get to go behind the scenes like this and look deeper, because honestly, some of this stuff, until doing research for it, you don't really know. You watch this movie 50, 60 times and you're like, oh, this is a great movie, I love it, but I love hearing stories because now, when I watch it again, or you out there watch it again, you can know a little bit on the backstory, which makes it even cooler. Yeah,
2: and I love uh, Bruce McGill's actually a wealth of knowledge on this film. He actually says, you know, precursing pretense to this story. He says Hollywood does not like this magical place everybody thinks it is There's a lot of tension that are on sets, and that's why he explained what happened here. And that's true. I mean, there's tension at any workplace, but you know, everybody thinks that Hollywood is so glamorous and, you know, then we see things like the Christian Bale video or, you know, or they make parodies of the Michael Sarah yelling at the director, (laughs) you know, just like it it does happen though. So, which I thought was pretty crazy, but that's our basic, our film development. We have our cast, we have our director. So, So what do you think about the stuff that we learned so far?
0: Uh, like I said, we are we are digging deeper, and we're real really seeing the pieces coming together for this movie. I mean, again, you're mentioning earlier some of actors that could have been a part of this movie. That honestly, and trust me, huge Wilford Brimley stand. Love Cocoon. Love the thing. Love him even in Family Guy for a couple times. They make. Ju- I just again, but again, gives a different tone of the movie. I mean, uh, Wilford Brimley. I've seen him in he's in the firm i believe Mm -hmm. and he's very serious i mean wilford brutally is not someone you're goofing around with on the set you know and that's where fred mcguinn i mean fred gwynn could come off as somebody where as you said that touches story that's one that's going to stick with me so very awesome
2: yeah they (laughs) should brian says they should have starred andrew dice clay and St. Lopner. (laughs) i mean they could have but uh you know I'm, I kind I like the way the role came out. I I would like to see the Dice Man. It would have been kind of fun. Well,
0: let, let me put it to you this way. What did Pesci, because of this role, did you think it expanded him into more of a comedy role? No. I mean, he didn't no. really do too much after. So, like, you put Dice Clay in here. Does his career go bigger? Or does this movie just become, like, one of those Andrew Dice Clay vehicles? You know?
2: It could have been. I mean, it depends on who no. they cast as uh, Mona Lisa. Yeah, that's true. So, I think it's a totally different film. He's in there. I don't think Frederick wins in there. With I don't Cindy think. Lopper, you think there.
0: Cindy Lauper wins the uh, the shooting nominated
2: <laughs> No. I love Cindy Lauper, <laughs> but I don't think she does. Um, but uh, that's our film development tone. Let's get into our film breakdown. See the
3: arc? He starts down here, he ends up here. Where's my art, awesome. bully? So the,
2: f- the two youths. Uh, uh, two what? <laughs> I love that scene. Uh, the film <laughs> opens with a drive down to Alabama. We see Ralph Macchio and Mitchell Whitfield driving as their characters of Bill and Stan, and they're driving down, listening to Way Down South, which like this is another film that comes out with uh them driving the last film we reviewed la bamba had the same thing and i love these driving like it must have been something in the 80s and 90s these driving like introduction scenes uh i love right. how they're driving down they're listening to music and you just see like that landscape of the town the countryside yeah and way down is a great song too uh they then go into a grocery store called the sack of studs and they buy groceries. Uh, one of the main culprits of the scene is that they are looking at prices of groceries and they're looking at beans. And he's like, Oh, I found a bean for 33 cents. And then, you know, Bill's like, this is 32. and stands like 31. And my favorite, one of my favorite exchanges, it's totally like off the line. He's like, I never heard of that brand. Maybe, maybe the, the name brand here is worth the penny. He's like, you're paying for advertisement, man. <laughs> you, you could totally tell they're just two college kids you know going to, and I, me in college ramen noodles were my best friend <laughs> when we had money so you know to go out and eat lavishly uh ramen noodles were like the best but uh, i could totally relate to that how they're trying to save money uh during this whole scene you see bill wanting tuna and he puts the tuna in his pocket and they pay for their groceries and leave and while they're driving away Bill pulls out the tune. was like, oh, I didn't pay for this. And stands like, you know, the rules on here for stealing? <laughs> he goes, they'll give you a chair. And he's like, well, what's the, what is the chair? He's like, yeah, do you know the death penalty age down here? He's like, what, like 16? He's like, 10. And then they start joking and laughing, but they are pulled over by a cop. And that to me, like when I was watching this film for the first time, I remember it was pretty intense how the uh, cop pulls him over with the shotgun they're like holy shit you know for a can of tuna (laughs) and we find out that you know you you know they go to the lineup and that's what stan says all this for a can of tuna like quiet in there (laughs) and we find out that the clerk jimmy willis was actually shot uh so tony i want to ask you about the scene because it makes me laugh when bruce mcgill is looking at the body and then they hear a call oh we might have a confession and he walks out and the lady comes up to him and says oh my god i heard they shot jimmy willis and his comment's like light is he's dead. He's like, Oh my god. Like does that whole interaction, what do you think about that?
0: It's it's again, it adds to the hilarity of the of the movie. Just you doing it actually right there made made this whole show. I loved your impression. It was great because that's exactly um what it was. And yeah, I think you know it, it it's ridiculous, is, is what I think it is. But for good for the movie, you know. Yeah, it was. It just sounds like it was
2: completely out of there. Uh, but we then cut to the questioning scene, um, and I love how they take different aspects of the crime. We Bill and Stan believe they're there for stealing tuna, while Farley is there investigating a murder. Uh, as and I love, I love the line of questioning. I love how there's confusion. It's really, really well done. How they're like, well, why'd you stop him? And Stan's like, he's my friend. <laughs> and when. Uh, Bill comes in, he Farley comes to talk to Bill. He's like, Yeah, it was a stupid thing to do. And Farley laughs, like, yeah, it was stupid to do, kill somebody. And he says, uh, you know, um, he goes, but I'm gonna let you know Stan didn't have anything to do with it. And Farley tells him, Did he try to stop you? And he goes, No. He goes, Did he plant with you? And he's like, No. He's like, but he didn't try to stop you. And he's like, No. And he's like, Oh, and he writes something down, he goes, It was that bad. He goes, Oh, Aiden didn't bitten. He's like aiding and abetting. And he's like, yep, it's some serious stuff. <laughs> and then he asks them uh, when they're going through the confession, he's talking about how they came down for NYU. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. He goes, you know, the can of tuna. He's like, yeah, the can of tuna. He's like, did you catch up the tuna? And he's like, no, he uh, didn't. He's like, well, what happened? He's like, uh, we paid for our groceries and we left. And he's like, at what point did you shoot the clerk? <laughs> He's like, I shot the clerk, like repeating it back. And then he realizes holy shit, they're kidding, they're kidding me for murder. For yeah. Uh and it makes me laugh when they go and they put them in the bench and they're sitting next to each other. And he's like, Oh, they're messing with us. Dan tells him they're messing with us. And he says, No, Dan, they're booking me for murder. <laughs> they're booking you for accessory to murder. He's like, God damn it. <laughs> uh so we, you know, that whole scene is great. So what do you think about it?
0: oh it, you just you brought to life right there that was probably my best brought to life scene since we've done this show um that was good because i i remember it's i can't over a can't. <laughs> oh, wait a minute this is not what we're talking about here again great script writing um great dialogue um again you know pesci hasn't even showed up yet and we're we're getting we're getting really good stuff here
2: yeah, this is a great you know great scene, couple scenes going in, and then you know when he calls his mother, you know Ralph Macchio and the and Stan go to call. He's like, uh, "Do we know any good lawyers?" Stan tells him, "He's like, no." He's like, "I'm calling my ma." We find out Stan's family is actually in Chile. They're doing mountain climbing, which are like, which is pretty funny. Uh, one of the best lines I think during this scene is when um he's talking to his mom. He's like, "Hello, ma." He's like, "We're down here for we're booked for murder," and she's like, "He's like." Listen, mom. we think we're being used as patsies. And Stan goes out to scream, the clan is here. They're inbred. They sleep with their sisters. And everybody looks at him. All the sheriffs look at him, And he goes, some of them do. <laughs> <laughs> and we get the famous line of, will any lawyer do? And he his mom says, he, uh, he asked Stan, will any lawyer do? And he says, I think so. And he goes, He he tells his mom, I think so on the phone. And she says, Oh, you know your cousin's a lawyer, and he's like, "Who? He is." He goes, "We have a lawyer in the family." He's like, "Great, who is it? <laughs> My cousin Vinny." And we cut to the introduction of Vinny and Mona Lisa, and <laughs> with a song that's playing. Tone, I don't even know the name of the song. It's just so like '90s. Oh, it <laughs> is. it's great. And it's great. They're in a. They're in like I think a Cadillac. He's driving down. They're all dressed in black. Ah, uh, they pull over to the side, and there's something wrong with the car. Vinny gets out, and Mona Lisa is taking pictures of her yellow <laughs> little camera. Uh, which then she utters the line, "I bet the Chinese food down here is terrible," <laughs> <laughs> which, which is great. Um, and we learn of the mud in the tire scene. And again, this scene was actually inspired by somebody the writer had really met in Alabama who said he had mud in the tires. Uh, this scene also shows the great chemistry between Tomei and Pesci. Uh, I love the fact that he says, Hey, you stick out like a sore thumb here. And <laughs> she's like, Oh, and you don't. And he's like, at least I got cowboy boots. And she's like, Oh yeah. What are you a fucking world traveler? <laughs> just just that whole chemistry and like lines back and forth is what cracks me up. Uh, what'd you think of this whole f- opening scene?
0: Again? Um, it's, it's great. Um, again i like to see and you know i wish there was more of pesci in a lead role because i think you know he can he can hold a lead role like he does in this movie and it, it fits him perfectly and his introduction is exactly why i think it's perfect for him
2: yeah it's a it's a funny little like interaction with him and the townsfolk and i thought it was you know really really done well um we then cut to the prison uh scene where Stan and Bill are actually taking to a real prison. Now, this was filmed in a real prison to await trial. We learned that the prison that they're, the, the jail they're usually supposed to be housed in is actually condemned. So they um, brought them to a real prison. Now, in Bill and Stan's case of being accused of murder, but but awaiting trial, naturally, they would have been sent to a county jail as a of trial. And however, since it mentions that the jail has been condemned, they had to wait their trial in state prison. In real life, this would be very unlikely to happen. And again, Lynn, Jonathan Lynn was pushing for realism uh, for the film. But the reason he kept this in was that it added so much to the story that it ca- that added hilarity to the story, especially the, uh, the later scene. Um, Bill and Stan are put in a separate cell away from the prisoners simply for the reason that they haven't been found guilty yet. And if they had been hurt or assaulted by the other prisoners, they would have waited tr- before a wedding trial. They both could have sued uh, mm. for being mistreated by temporarily incarcerated in a state prison. That means they were uh, usually placed in a cell away from the inmates and they showered away from them. They also had to uh, avoid interacting with them, which is like, there's another scene later in the film where they're playing basketball. And if you know, it's just them two on the court and the, the guards are all watching them. So that's a reason why uh, they were basically separated. But when they walk in and you hear all the cat calling when they're going to their cell, those are real prisoners. The guards are real guards. They're not actors. All, everybody in that prison is real, which I thought was pretty crazy when doing research for this.
0: Oh, Anytime you get you know some of the real, whatever it is that you're filming, you can make it feel a little bit more real. And that's exactly what I think in the scene.
2: Yeah. Uh, so we then cut to them and their prison cell. Bill says he's going to take a nap and we see Vinny being brought in. Uh, and he says, I tells them, I wanted to, he tells Stan, I told him to take me to the new guys. Now this whole interaction is pretty hilarious because he's like, uh, uh you know tell me what happened and like he's kind of like trying to be his friend stan thinks that vinnie is just another prisoner who's trying to take sexual advantage of him sexually which i think is hilarious and uh joe pesci utters a line like e- it's either me or someone else you're getting fucked either way <laughs> <laughs> and the way Stan's like some fans i was like no i'm not doing it i'm not doing it and he's like i don't know what the hell is wrong with you and he starts smacking uh bill on the ass as he wakes him up bill jumps up and he gives him a hug oh Vinny and give him a hug uh which to me was like a hilarious little interaction what do you think of it
0: that's, that's, again um it, it's funny to see you know ralph macchio again in a role that isn't karate kid you know and, and and again um he's great he's great in this movie too you know i mean i wouldn't like to imagine even though i like you know the actors who could have played him instead that you mentioned earlier um he does a, he does he does a great job and i think mix, them mixing it up here at the beginning is, is letting the viewer know it's you're in for more great laughs
2: yeah and like i said the scene in which vinny arrives to meet them in prison for the first time and stanley misunderstands him the purpose for vinny's visit was actually originally deleted from the script by lynn jonathan lynn the director Because he pointed out in real life, Benny would never be allowed anywhere near a prison cell in this situation due to a possible liability, which is totally true. When he meets Stan and Bill, his introduction to them would have been taking place the whole time in a prison interview room, which is totally true, which was shown in the very next scene. However, Lynn eventually realized, despite not being authentic, he would be cutting one of the funniest scenes of the movie out, so he kept it back in. And I think that is, Totally true because that scene between him and Stan is hilarious. If you guys have not seen his film, watch the film for that scene alone because this film, this film in total, shows does a lot of like uh, misinterpretation by the characters, and this is one of the scenes that is totally great. Just the the verbiage, the back and forth between the two, is classic and hilarious. Uh, you know, I thought she he, when Patchy tells him, I think you should be you know thankful for for me getting. It, he's like, oh. I'm thankful because he thinks he's going to get sexually assaulted. He's like, I should be thankful. Yeah. You little shit. That's <laughs> just that part makes me laugh. Uh, but as we transition to them now in the interview room, we learned that uh, Vinny has only been working personal injury cases and he's only been practicing for six weeks. And I love the line that uh, Bill gives. I was like, then you graduated law school like six years ago, What you've been doing <laughs> studying for the bar And we find out that he failed the bar his first time, his second time, his third time, and he passed on his sixth time, (laughs) which again plays into the man he heard about taking the bar 13 times, which I think is pretty hilarious. And you can see, I think Mitchell Whitfield does a great job at Stan when he tells him the sixth time and you can kind of see like the excitement drain from his (laughs) face, and i mean like in a situation like what would you do if somebody if your lawyer told you he's been only practicing for six weeks
0: well again it would depend on where i was like you know if i'm down here in this situation where i took a tuna can and i got no one else and he's telling me that i probably shouldn't complain but again fighting out you also don't feel very confident that you're gonna win because if he didn't pass six times but you know, you never know. Maybe he's like one of those baseball players that gets better as the years go on. And that's how his lawyering is going to be.
2: Yep. Then we transition to Vinny actually being the judge. And this is the first introduction to Fred Gwynn. Uh, they go in, basically the lawyer the lawyer has to meet the judge to see if he's fit enough to defend the defendants. Uh, this scene is actually cracks me up as well because when he asks him, um, would you graduate? He's like, Brooklyn Academy of Law. He's like, is that an accredited institution? And he looks up at his the Goes, oh, he's like, yeah, <laughs> uh, but and then he says, you know, tell me about your cases, basically. he's like, I defended the X murder, which I won on insanity. Which, and, then, <laughs> and he's like, do you want to hear the details of the case? He's like, no. And he's like, you know, the son of Sam. He's like, you defended uh, the man <laughs> who listened to a dog. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, no, 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 no. Ah, uh, see, before another guy was caught and. Uh, I defend that guy before they, caught, before they caught the real guy. <laughs> which made me laugh. Like, and if you think about it, this is like in the 90s, so everything was done facts So there wasn't, yeah. like the internet was still like young. So yeah. there wasn't really, like it was really hard to fact check on a lot of this stuff. But uh, you know, now you could just look it up online. But to, you know, at that time, it was believable. Just the fact that the story he tells makes me laugh. You know, that whole interaction between the really two. And he, uh, the judge gives him a book of the Constitution of Alabama and basically tells Vinny, you know, you, I, I expect you to become prepared knowing the full knowledge of Alabama law. Now, the <laughs> funny thing is, this book has more than 300,000 words, and the Alabama Constitution is the largest in all the states in the United States, <laughs> uh, which is ridiculous. Uh, so he wants him to learn it before the trial. And, you know, this, I think this is where, the, if they explained that Vinny was dyslexic would have played a lot better. Mm-hmm. You know, It was cut out because he does have trouble reading as we find out in the uh, next scene when they're at the hotel. He tells Lisa, she's there. She's like, how can I help? And he says uh, he wants to do it himself. You know, He's reading the book. He's frustrated. He closes the book and they go to bed. And this starts the gags of the hotel stays that they stay at. They're sleeping and the loud steam whistle goes off uh tone what do you think about this scene
0: um hilarious again you know you're sleeping and these 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 you're if you're from where he's from and then you're down there it's it's, it's a total what different walk of life not you know good or bad you know it's just different than what you're used to
2: totally uh then we cut to the next scene where they go to a diner and this kind of like hit me home a little bit for me now that i'm married to my wife and my father-in-law who when he was in the military did his uh, training in the South. And while they're there at the diner, they open up the menu and they see three, <laughs> three things on the menu, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And they're like breakfast. And while the cook is cooking, he asks him, did you do you know this law, lo- law, lo- this loud whistle? And he's like, Oh, it's to wake everybody up for the steel mill. And He's like, okay, they get their breakfast with looks, which looks phenomenal. It's like bacon and eggs and grits and this is where Vinny first sees grits and it makes me laugh because my father-in-law hates grits and he said when he was in the south uh there were all the cooks would always see him come in to eat and they're like oh you're that sergey don't like no grits <laughs> he always tells me that story which makes me laugh but you know this is the first time they see grits and being from new york both of them they're like what is this and vinnie she, uh, is told by Mona Lisa, how about you try it? And he tries to prolong it, Tone. He says, he asks about like, what's in the grit? How's it? And she's like, just taste it. And while he tastes it, she takes a picture, which to me, always made me laugh. Cause it was just a funny interaction.
0: It oh, was, that's a good interaction. Mm-hmm.
2: We then cut to the meat and potatoes that we say of the film, the court day. Uh, this is shot in the same courtroom as the heat of a night, um, where that was filmed, which I think is pretty crazy Uh Reading about this, the temperatures in that courtroom exceeded 100 degrees. and This film was shot in the summer uh, during the courtroom scenes, which was in the midst of a Georgia summer and in a converted warehouse with a corroded metal roof. So they were probably dying. Uh, we'll get to that, Brian. We'll get to that. Um, but uh, at, at the courtroom, I love the, the first introduction and Jim Trotter comes in, played by um, Lane Smith. He sees Vinny sitting on top of the desk in his black leather jacket, his little black shirt and jeans. And he's like, has your lawyer arrived yet? He's like, I am the lawyer, which makes me laugh. And he's like, "Um, you know, kind of ridicules him a little bit for his dress. Uh, then we see the issues as we learn that you don't, that Vinny was never taught the procedure in court. And this will be his first trial, as he explained to Stan and Bill. Uh, he's asked to basically enter a plea. He doesn't understand the procedure. He tries to explain it to the judge that they were, they were pulled over for a can of tuna. <laughs> the judge basically yells at him and pulls him in contempt. And I love the transition for this as they um, show him in contempt in court and he's going to jail. He tells Mona Lisa, "Uh, you got to bail me out. And while they're on their bus ride back to the jail, he's like singing and whistling Dixie. <laughs> and like the two guys are just looking at him. And it makes me laugh that that scene, you know, played out like he has no idea what's going on. Um, and we learn about the, the character, a small character named Norton, who's going to be executed at the prison. Uh, we then see them go to lunch after the bailout, as Vidi and Mona Lisa, that is. And I love the way Vidi explains, you know, you learn as you go. You know, think of it. He explains to her as like fixing a carburetor in a car like it's just like just like the whole his way of thinking is very interesting to me would you think about this whole uh court day scene and the jail scene
0: so well again it's again we're getting um, pesci we're, we're, we're that whole the way you the way he uh said he's stealing a can of tuna you <laughs> yeah. know what i mean again it's it's you know, you, 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 your life's on the line. But, you know, I'm okay with Pesci in the driver's seat helping me, you know, in the court if I'm one of these guys. and But, you know, you're also like, well, who is this guy? And it, it's, again, not like, I don't want to, this is nothing like seven. You're also, if you're seeing this for the first time, like, where is he going to take these guys? Like, is he going to get them off? It, it is kind of, if you're watching it for a first time, um, is this, where is this going pretty much? I get at this point.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, we learn while they're eating lunch that she's almost, that Mona Lisa tells Vinny that she's almost used all their traveler checks. She went to go hustle at the pool hall and she got stiffed. And Vinny's like, wait, you got stiffed? And they actually go to the pool hall to get her money. And we meet JT, who's played by Chris Ellis. And we have there's a funny interaction that, uh, he says, you owe Lisa $200. And he JT basically threatens Vinny, and they have a funny interaction between the two. He says, uh, "How about I just kick your ass?" And he goes, "Hmm, I could really use a good ass kicking, you know." But nah, I just I'll just take the two hundred dollars, and everybody laughs. And he goes, "How about you fight me for it?" And that whole scene they have is great. I really love the fact the guy with the neck braces in this film. The guy in the scene has a neck brace, yes. and when he sees it, he's like rear-ended <laughs> right away the personal the the injury lawyer comes out and goes, no i fail and like then he tells them uh you get the money and we'll fight for 200 dollars." and this is a whole little gag that goes out throughout the film uh and as they walk out he says that you fall at your place or someone else's and he's like my place and he just shakes his head and walks out what do you think about the pool hall scene
0: um again more introduction to the uh, more dialogue you know more whip smart dialogue between Pesci and who he's interacting with, which is pretty much honestly for any movie he's in, he's like a even in raging bull, you know, where he's <laughs> you know and, and you know not main anything he's saying. You're you know, I gotta believe a lot of his lines, like I, I don't know for sure, but I mean some of them can't be written word for word of him saying some of them's gotta be like right from the cuff because that's how good he sounds when he's doing it, you know <laughs> Yeah. Uh
2: we then find out that, you know, Stan is very uncertain with, with uh Vinny's pre- presentation at court. He's pushing for a public defender and he kind of convinces Bill to do so. And while this is going on, um, we have another sleeping night of the whistle going off in the morning and him telling uh Mona Lisa, we have to, you know, <laughs> move, go somewhere else to stay. Uh we then cut to the courtroom where they're actually interviewing for a grand jury, the witnesses to see if the trial should proceed. Uh, we have the witnesses of Riley Tipton and crane, and they testify that Stan and bill were there at the scene of the crime, in the preliminary hearing. Uh, one of my favorite lines is when, um, Crane says, uh when he asked Crane, he's like, was that those two boys? He's like, yeah, that was those two boys driving all over the road. <laughs> like that line always cracked me up. It still does today when I watched the film actually yesterday. Um, so most state felonies, uh most states, all felonies must be presented to a grand jury to determine if there is probable cause to proceed with a trial. However, the process is rile with problems. Uh grand jurors were often selected because they were friends of the judge or the prosecutor and evidence such as hearsay is allowed even though it would not be admissible at trial. No judge is present and defense are not all, uh, present for the grand jury meetings and defense attorneys are almost never allowed to attend. Thus, despite being a protection in the Constitution, the grand jury process usually favors the prosecution. For this reason, many states have moved to a more open proceeding as seen in this scene, which I thought was great. Uh, in some states, the defense may challenge the state's case by means of a defense packet which they include a statement by the defendant and evidence and his favor. One respect in which this film departs from accurate legal procedure is spe- sped by which the case proceeds to trial in general. It's rarely, if ever less than 180 days for this yeah. stuff to happen. Uh, I love this film for that aspect of, it. I know I'm giving you a bunch of legal mumble jumble, but this is why these scenes are shown because it's showing that this actually does happen in the courtroom and like we said, Jonathan Lynn wanted more authenticity to the court scenes. Uh, Vinny, again, after this scene, he uh, is asked to stand up by the judge. And the judge says, didn't I tell you to wear a suit and tie to this courtroom? And he responds, you were serious about that? <laughs> then we cut to them on the bus. Again, he's in contempt in court. And he says one of the best lines in the film. Stan is basically ridiculing him, saying, "Why did you argue? You could have had this case thrown out." And he responds, "Stan, you're in Alabama. <laughs> you were from New York. You killed a good old boy. There is no way this ain't going to trial." And it's totally true. Uh, that whole interaction was great. What would you think about this whole uh, interviewing of witnesses and then the uh, interaction on the bus?
0: Um, you know, again, it's fun. It's like not like groundhog day but again ending up back on the bus again it's like the cartoon where like you get out and then you do it again and then you're back in that same place to get back to i think it's again um you know i mean watching these characters um you know i for one um one school year went to vincennes it's about three and a half hours down south of in indiana in the very bottom tip corner while i was there i met a gentleman from new jersey we became really good friends and honestly his dad um grew up with joe pesci which we'll talk about at a later time but uh this being said all we would do is make these jokes about the South and Southern Indiana. And I could see me and him getting in this situation. So it's funny to watch this movie and see it's not a fish. I mean, like one of the things when I was at second city that you learn about story writing is it's an out of, um out of a uh, fish out of water story because they're, which makes what makes it funny is they're in the Southern town and they're not living by the, the grits and the Southern drawls and stuff like that. I I, I think, Again, we're just keep building. The movie is getting better to the to the to the climax, I think.
2: Yeah, totally. Uh, I love that it's building up as we go, Uh, you know, and then we transition from this to, uh, you know, we still have the gags with the hotel rooms where he's woken up by uh, a steam, the steam whistle. Now he's woken up by a freight train that goes by and he goes on to ask the clerk at the hotel. "Does The freight train always come by at uh, five o'clock in the morning. No, sir right it's very rare which i think is hilarious and then we later find out it happens again and he says you told me that the freight he's like i know it's it's very rare it's supposed to come by at 4 15 the morning (laughs) which makes me laugh uh we see the interaction with jt and the roll of ones hey little yankee boy he shows him the roll of ones uh to 20 dollars bill he's like i got you two hundred dollars here in a roll he's like how i know it's not a, a bunch of ones with a 20 wrapped around it he's like it's 200 he's like okay fan it out to me he refuses to do it because he didn't knew if he got his ass kicked he have to pay the money uh this that those little interactions always made me laugh you know these little side stories um made me laugh i love that when he gets out of jail lisa scolds him again the chemistry between the two are you fucking up this trial is what she asks him (laughs) you know and he's like no no i'm just learning you know it's kind of crazy how vinny is perceiving this, like his Later we learn, you know, he is nervous about this, but at first he's trying to play it off like, no, no, I got this. Even though two kids, you know, lives are basically in his hands right now, trying to get them off. You know, this the uh the whole interaction is pretty crazy. Uh we learn again, Stan pushing for the public defender, meets with the public defender and we see him meet him, and uh he comes in and says, No, I just want you to tell me about your side of the story. And you at first you think the public defender is great. Um Bill decides to meet with Vinny and Vinny is like sleeping as he walks in because he's so tired and he's like, we're standing. He's like, Oh, Stan's not coming. He he's going with the public defender and Vinny goes, uh, Oh, he's like, and Bill's like, I- I'm going to go with the public defender too. And he, Vinny is crushed. He's like, why? He's like, you know, if you would told me that you didn't have this much experience, you know, I probably would have went with you. And then Vinny convinces him how, he convinces them with a magic trick. And I think it's awesome how he does it. Uh, he basically tells them about, you know, the public defender is going to let you lay these brick. The prosecutor is going to let you put these bricks. And then, you know, he he's going to build you these bricks and show you they have four corners. And then he can't, he's going to find out he has nothing to hold because you're innocent. He basically changes the card from the initial card he shows him. Uh, and this scene, it was pretty crazy. When I'm doing research, um, Pesci had to learn this. And uh, the DVD commentary, Jonathan Lynn says, of course you can fake anything by cutting and showing another shot. But I talked about this to Joe before we started shooting, and he learned how to do this card trick. So the scene in which he does it does not have any cuts. He actually fools the audience before their very eyes. He did it beautifully. I thought Vinny's argument would be less powerful if the audience would say, Oh, well, that was fake with the scene. And he does it great. you know, a great job of it, Tom. What do you think about the uh, the magic trick here?
0: Again, um, that's the thing about pesci in this is he's he's going humor and then he's he's using in this of course skill again and when you're doing it like you said i watch enough movies to know that you could tell if he was able to do it or not and when you see him doing it it's him doing it which i think makes it awesome
2: yeah it's a a great scene um one of my favorites of the movie when he does it uh bill goes back and tries to convince stan like he's gonna stay with with uh Vinny. Stan again pushes back, saying, you know, he could fuck up the proceedings if we have him ask a question that the lawyers don't want you to ask. And he explains to him how Vinny is just being quintessential Gambini, how he ruined the life of what a day of a famous musician called Alakazam because he knew everything he was about to do. Basically, showing that Vinny is smarter than you think he is. He's just being, he was just being Vinny at the time. I, he, so basically, Bill saying, you know, he's putting all his faith in his cousin, he can come through for us. And that's when Stan utters the line uh, after he says the quintessential Gambini. We see the lights flicker, and Stan goes, "Well, there goes the quintessential Norton, <laughs> the guy who was executed." And I think that's a great little play of words right there between the two. Um, we then cut to talking to Trotter, and Vinny goes to meet Trotter to talk about, you know, the, the to discuss with the prosecutor. He's basically to get a feel of the case. Uh, we find out how Vinny actually got into being a lawyer. He tells him about a judge he met called judge Malloy, uh, who, when he had gotten a traffic ticket against a cop, he thought was BS. He argued with the cop to eventually the cop to admit that he was wrong. The judge was cracking up during the whole time and basically asked him out to lunch and said, you know, you have a great career. You have a great career as a litigator. And Vinny says, I don't even know what the hell a litigator was. And he said that Malloy was like a person that checked on him during law school and basically, you know, was very proud of him because his own son didn't want to be a lawyer. He became a musician, which is kind of funny because Joe Pesci is a legit musician in real life. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of like a, you know, like a fourth, breaking the fourth wall there. Uh, So we kind of get the backstory of how Vinny became a lawyer. And we find out how Trotter became a public defender, a district attorney. He says he was defending people who were you know horrible people and he was making a lot of money but his conscience was getting to him i think it's like a good like um this scene right here is a good like kind of like a, an opening of the characters backgrounds mm-hmm. giving us some but not too much what i thought was a good you know good opening for their backgrounds of the characters what do you think tone
0: you know again um character development um in the movie especially as we're moving along here you know they don't throw it all at you at once again you know we've heard a lot in the movie already and it's cool to still be getting more character development as we're going along
2: yes and we also find you know again vinny doesn't know the procedure of court he (laughs) there's a great scene where he uh is told by trotter what are you doing later on today and he comes back to tell lisa they're going hunting Mm -hmm. and this interaction you know uh is one of my favorite interactions when she's like he's like uh, he's like what going to go hunt and he's like i don't know he's got some uh some moose heads uh, some deer he's like a deer and she <laughs> how can you kill a deer he's like i don't know i'm a man's man i could kill a deer and he's trying to bond with him because Vinny believes that if he bonds with him he can get he can kind of get to know what trotter knows about the trial which is ridiculous if you think about it as lawyers uh which we find out later but um my favorite scene is when he's, she runs into the bathroom because she's disgusted. He's going hunting for a deer, and he asks her, uh, "Do you think these pants are okay?" And she comes out and tells him, "Imagine you're this little deer, and you see a nice lake, and you put your little head close to the water. Then, bam! Some a bullet through <laughs> your fucking head, and your brains are laying all over the floor." And she goes, "At that time, do you really think you'd be thinking?" You've been giving a shit about the pants the motherfucker was wearing. <laughs> Just that whole scene like is That's hilariously you. done. Yeah, It's great. <laughs> uh, we then find out as they're driving to go hunting, he's like, oh, I really would like to see your files. And Trotter says, you would. And he calls his secretary to have her photocopy all the files. And he cuts into the next scene of Vinny coming in with the files. And Lisa is reading the law book and she sees him she's like you stole his files she's like no he when he tells her a story like he outsmarted trotter creasing him up and she tells him he had to it's called disclosure dickhead <laughs> which makes me laugh she's like oh they didn't teach you that in law school either and vinny is like oh my god like what the hell which again shows he does not know what is going on what do you think about that whole interaction Tom? <laughs>
0: again he's like a lot of the movie he's like almost like stumbling upon what he's really supposed to be doing by accident and it's going well but he's also looks like he doesn't know what he's doing yeah i like that mix and match as, as it's going along
2: yeah i think the chemistry between the two characters is just great oh, uh, it is. and they spent a lot of time uh reading and doing research for us a lot of the cast members hung out but Pesci basically and Tomei actually made it look actually like a real relationship where they spent a lot of time together to try and get that chemistry going. I think they did an excellent job. Uh, we cut to now the picking of jurors. And this scene always made me laugh because as they're picking the jurors, um, Lane Smith, who plays Trotters, is asking an old lady, uh, uh, you know, about the death penalty. And she's like, I think it should be up to the victim's families. What happens to the person? And he says, Oh, well the defendants here are charged with shooting a clerk in the back in a cowardly way and she's like fry him and he's like that'll do and he gives the thumbs up now this is actually this scene was actually taken out of a comedy book about law that Lawner had read uh he said he told the abnormal use newspaper um the lawyers asked them their opinion on capital punishment and they say something like i think it should be left to the victim's families then they describe exactly what the murderer did and then the juror actually said fry them so, so I put that in the movie, which I think is hilarious how all these scenes that he's read about are incorporated into the scene.
0: Oh, that's that's uh, good.
2: Um, then we find out Vinny is found to be a fraud by the judge because he's never tried a case in New York. The judge tells him, I haven't found anybody with J- Vincent Gambini as a trial. And he's like, you're not going to find my name. He just tells him the story of how he became a stage actor. And there was a guy named Vincent Lagoria Gambini he's like maybe you heard of him he's like no <laughs> he's like well i had to change my legal name to jerry gallo and as he says gallo he knocks over the chess pieces the judge is playing with and that was actually authentic uh, according to director jonathan lynn the scene was so authentic and hilarious he just left it in <laughs> because he thought it was funny and i think it's it shows like how much of a klutz of he is and like how you can tell he's uneasy oh yeah um we later find out as he's walking out, he tells Lisa what happened. And she's like, oh yeah, you know, the big lawyer from New York. He's like, yeah, he's pretty prominent. He's like, he was in the papers. He's like, yeah. He's like, he didn't read the articles, right? And he's like, no, because he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> so now we have the fact of Vinny being found out. He never tried a case, which puts another layer of issues that are coming on. They then stay at the cabin of Trotter who offered it to them because he told them all their sleeping issues. We see the famous scene of the biological clock here where Lisa is upset that her this trial is going nowhere. She doesn't know how to help. She's her niece is getting married. They're supposed to be married. She feels like she's getting old, like everything is stretching out. And that's where Vinny finally blows his top and says, I have two kids so that are gonna be in trial. I'm under pressure. I have a judge who's dying to put me in jail. I have <laughs> he's like, I have uh trains, loud whistles. <laughs> <laughs> he goes is there anything else you can put in this case and she's like oh maybe i uh, shouldn't have brought this up i love when they're about to go to sleep at night and we see this screeching owl is basically screaming and then he jumps up and starts shooting off a handgun out of nowhere um so according to the director of this scene the eastern screech owl in the scene in the woods was a real owl that had a little prior training so it wouldn't be scared away by the gunfire the crew got it to open its mouth by giving it little pieces of beef, and <laughs> artificially introduced the screeches that were added in post-production. Uh, the owl's reaction to jumping when the gunshot are authentic, which I think is hilarious. Uh, again, we found out this is something that really happened to the screenwriter when he was doing his research in uh, the South. Uh, what do you think about this whole transaction? You know, this whole um, transition of scenes with the biological clock and the screeching owl.
0: Again. Um lynn's really good with the comic timing i mm-hmm. mean a couple movies back he does clue some really mm-hmm. good comic timing in that um just keeps it up man the movie's just keeping it going
2: yes and then we got to the famous uh as they hear the screeching owl they decide to sleep in their car in the middle of a field and she's uh, lisa's telling all oh, this is so romantic all oh, this is sleeping under the stars and he's like i don't see any stars and we find out it starts pouring rain And this is where we get the mud gag when they wake up in the morning and he falls in the mud to get his suit out. He basically throws his suit in the mud. He has 30 minutes to get to court. They have to go find a cleaner. He has to take a shower. And he sees JT who says he has the money and he just jumps at him and punches him in the face and takes the money away, which kind of puts a cap on that whole scene. And he walks into court wearing the most ridiculous outfit, like a 19... fifties prom outfit that is velvet red <laughs> and uh, when he walks in the judge says are you mocking me he's like no i'm not mocking you and he tells him i i had a suit you saw it i try to get clean. apparently the cleaners have the flu and it's the only one in the town so he went to a secondhand store to get this suit he goes for you and he asks him are you on drugs he's like no i don't take drugs and he gets held in contempt again even though he tried to do right by the judge which I think is pretty funny. Uh, we then see, which is one of my, thank you.
3: Mr. Gambini, are you mocking me with that outfit?
2: <sighs> great timing there, Tom. That I don't know, really
0: I, I, I didn't want to speak over your words, but it was just really, it was great you said it. And I was like, I think I got
2: that one. Yeah, that's a great one. We then see the great scene of the public attorney and the cross-examination of Mr. Tipton. Mr. Tipton says that he was basically making breakfast and he saw two boys go into the sack of suds and then he saw them running out as he was about to eat from the sack of suds. Uh, Director Jonathan Lynn cast his friend again, Austin Pendleton, who had a real life stutter in this scene and was tongue tied. He went on to say, I knew he would be really funny in this part. So he said, But I really didn't quite imagine how funny. And I just had to literally hide behind the camera, normally sitting by the camera. But I had to hide because I was laughing so hard. This interaction between the public defender and Tipton, he's like, "Uh, Mr. Tipton. And I love the fact how he says, you were 50 feet away. You couldn't see. I understand you have glasses. And he's like, yeah, they're reading glasses. It makes me laugh. Like just even his opening statement, how he's trying to talk to the jurors and he's like slapping the guy on the shoulder to get his words out. And it's just a, it just shows like, uh, you know, Stan again, because he's Stan saying, what the hell I get myself into going with the public defender that doesn't know what he's talking about. And then we see Vinny come up for his opening statement. He's half asleep. He comes up and says, everything that guy just said is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) mean, meaning what Lane Smith said, the, uh, Mr. Trotter. And, uh, You know, that whole interaction is great. And then we see the uh, interaction of how Vinny starts to kind of take a turn in terms of character development and the way he cross-examines a witness. Now, the public defender had a really hard time of cross-examining Mr. Tipton. Uh, He was starting the whole way and we found out he tried to use his glasses, but we found out they were reading glasses. And when he sits down, he says, he's a tough nut to break. Uh, But Vinny comes up and says, you know, is it possible two youths and the judge says what the what two youths which you had a great opening to the scene Uh tone uh that dialogue is real it's actually something that happened between lynn and pesci they were prepping for the film and he says something about these two youths who were on trial and i said (laughs) what and he said what and i said what's a youth Lim recalled. I realized as we were having this conversation that this is something that ought to happen between Vinnie and the judge. So he wrote it that way when he did the rewrite. And it's a great scene. It's probably the most iconic scene of this whole film. Uh, but Vinnie crushes it on the cross examination. Uh, he says the same as line of, "What were you making for breakfast?" And Mister Tipton says, "I was making grits." He goes, "Instant grits." He goes, "No Southerner, a proud Southerner makes instant grits." And he goes, "How do you like a regular al dente?" He goes, "Regular, I guess." So you know, Vinnie was did research for this. And then he says, Well, how you said it took you five minutes to do your grits. How is it possible that you did grits in five minutes and to eat your breakfast when it takes every other person in the grit eating world 20 minutes? Showing that there are reasonable doubts that it wasn't the same people he saw go in to the sack of suds uh, and come out of the sack of suds. And he says, I'm a fast cook, I guess. And that's when (laughs) Vinny just unloads on him. He says, do the laws of physics not exist on your stove? Were these magic grits where Brian brought up Great Colline? Were these magic grits from the same people that sold Jack his beanstalk beans? We find out that Mr. Tipton had, did have holes in his story, which puts out reasonable doubt, which can help the defendants get off. And Stan comes to realization that he is—you know—he wants Vinny and fires the, the public defender and goes with Vinny and says, I want him. Uh, Vinny, again, is held in contempt, as we said earlier, for arguing with the judge of his ridiculous outfit. And the funny thing about this is he tells Lisa not to bail him out. He'll get a good night's sleep in jail. And they cut to him in jail, sleeping like a baby as there was a prison riot. (laughs) Which makes me laugh. Uh, The best part about this, doing research for that, is that scene where he's in jail was actually filmed the day after Joe Pesci won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for Goodfellas. He actually brought it to the set and um, Whitfield actually who plays Stan said, nobody don't, don't, nobody touch it. It's bad luck to touch it. Kind of like the Stanley cup. He's like, it's bad luck to touch it. Uh, don't touch it. So he, it's kind of funny that, you know, he went, brought the, the award to the set and we later find out that you know, Marissa told me it would eventually win an award for her role in this film. Uh, we then cut to the discrediting of witnesses we see him talk to one of the witnesses who had bushes and dirt in his house. He gets him to discredit him. We have Mrs. Riley, who is an older woman with very thick glasses. He basically pulls measuring tape and tells her, How many fingers am I holding up to show that she couldn't recognize the people? And she says, The best part is when she says, About to answer, the judge says, Let it be known that the, <laughs> that the lawyer is holding up two fingers. He's like, Your Honor, basically telling her the answer. And he's like, Oh, sorry. Which shows a more comedic, you know, timing between the two. And he responds, Okay, how many things are I holding up now, Mrs. Riley? And only Mrs. Riley. And we cut to Fred Quinn giving like a fuck, you know, like a fuck you face. Uh-huh. That whole interaction, like what you think about the discrediting of witnesses and then him and the uh, tipton in interaction?
1: What these pictures of my house and stuff. House and stuff
0: um again man it's just it's great that they were able to really because when you were talking about it like this even there's there's not another movie like this really like a, a courtroom drama where the comedy is really 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 good i mean we're not talking about jury duty here with paul paulie shore i mean this is um i think i think it's it's just the dialogue is is where it's at whip smart dialogue
2: yeah i love it um we then cut to the, since Vinny is killing it at court, we cut to Trotter calling him at night to tell him he has some evidence and an expert witness. Uh, so Trotter's phone call the night before the witness is in no way part of rules of discovery to follow the proper rules. Trotter was has to give the actual names either over the phone or fax or in person. Vinny's argument when they go to court about the surprise witness is valid. And this is the first time when they find out George Wilbur who's played by james reborn who i love as a character actor uh comes in from the fbi he examines tire tracks and whatnot and then he gives an a, a great argument uh to the to the court case about why it's invalid but it's overruled but if since he is overruled this actually in reality would open up a doorway for him to call for a um a uh a retrial basically, uh, because of this overruling. Basically, they do have grounds for another trial if they were found guilty, which I think is pretty crazy. Um, any contempts in court would be held in a small prison cell, in a courthouse, or in a cell at a sheriff's station, never at an actual person, any contempt of courts that is by basically the attempt of courts he gets are like uh the, the prison cell, but again, the prison cells are actually shut down. Um I love the whole interaction between him and the judge because it shows that Vinny is learning the court system and finding out what he can do for to get his clients the best possible outcome. Um, he would have excellent grounds again for appeal if he was since he was overruled. So that interact, you know, the, the whole growing of the Vinny character is very great here at tone
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Uh, the exchange between the prosecutor and the automotive expert about the equipment used to analyze the tires was taken verbatim from an actual court transcript. The the Hubert Packard model 5710A with a flame and analyzing detectors. The DEA quite does that thing come with turbocharged? And the witness answered only on the floor models. This appears in a lot of funny things said in court collections. <laughs> uh, also, when my brother loves a scene where he says how are the tire track skills? They are identical. And he goes, identical, <laughs> <laughs> which always makes me laugh too. Uh, Lane Smith, you know, another actor who's gone way too soon, you know, was excellent in the role of Trotter. Uh, Vinny is then called, you know, to talk, to, re- to talk to the uh, witness, but he, a, a recess is called by the judge because we find out Jerry Gallo was dead. And Vinny says, Jerry Gallo, he's dead. And he goes, I was just about to tell you that. He goes, my name is Callow, C-A-L-L-O. The judge gets frustrated and tries to call the clerk and finds out, yeah, he can call back after three. So Vinny has to win this case within an hour, within 90 minutes. Um, this leads to him going to lunch with Lisa. He's looking at the photographs and he gets to a fight with her because she's saying, how can she help? And he says, nothing, you can really help me with nothing right now. Um, he gets irritated to the point where He looks through the pictures she has and and as he's looking through the pictures, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, me reading the book. Oh, what is this over here? Is it great? Is these tire tracks? Can they be any more farther away? And what is that over there? Looks like dog shit. It's dog shit right there. And the final like scene, you know, uh, interaction, he goes into it with her is, uh, oh, my God, you cracked the case. It's me in the shower. (laughs) It's basically a, a great interaction between the two, and she leaves and storms off, and he says he's sorry, you know, as she storms off. But he's looking at the pictures. We cut back to the court scene, and he tells him, "I found very little." And he tries to, when he tries to spin the tale that there were two, told two um, different people that drove two the same cars that basically made those tracks, uh, which basically is not a great case. To but when he goes to sit back down, the defense rests. The, pro, the, no, the, the, the prosecution rests. The defense now has a chance to call their first witness. And while Vinny is sitting there, he notices something in the pictures. Asks for a recess. Is granted it. Asks for five minutes, but granted three minutes. Uh, runs over to Sheriff Farley and asks him to trace something. Who says, why? He says, I only have three minutes. Runs outside to see Lisa, who's on the phone. <laughs> He's like, we have to make up. We have to make up. I need you. And she's like, F you. He pushes them away. Goes outside. He basically carries her back into the courtroom, and they have the whole interaction of the uh, uh, need to have her as an expert witness to challenge George Wilbur. Uh, I love that Lane Smith says, "I would like to evolve there, Miss Mona Lisa." Um, and the cinematic scene where Mona Lisa is brought to the courtroom as an expert witness in the automotive general knowledge section. It has been noted that Vinny had an alternative if Mona Lisa hadn't cooperated on the stand or she was disqualified. Remember, she was trying to leave uh, by the court as a legal expert. Namely, while it's discouraged by standard attorney ethics in most situations, the rules of the court would have allowed Vinny to take the stand himself to testify as an expert in general knowledge because he could not have anticipated at the beginning of the trial that such knowledge would be relevant. So if she would have ran away They wouldn't have made her stay. He could have actually done it, which I thought was an interesting, little intricate part of uh, the court procedure that I've learned while doing research for this. What do you think about that, Tom?
0: That would have, you know, again changed the dynamic a little bit of the film, and of course, Pesci being on the stand would have had fireworks too. But yeah, it's very interesting. Another interesting aspect.
2: Yeah, I love the uh, the cross examination and with her and Lane Smith, where he tries to give her a faulty knowledge about a general knowledge about a car she basically destroys him and vinnie puts his feet out to like kind of like show off uh then vinnie brings up to her you know it's the defense's argument that two different people driving the same car drove into the sack of suds and she says no that's not it they're made by two totally different cars which we later find out um when he calls sheriff farley up but first he calls up uh George Wilbert to re to basically reexamine him and tell him that was everything Mrs. L- uh Vito said true. And he says yes. I love how he opens up the the questions, like she's cute, huh? And he's <laughs> like uh uh very, you know, he's so uncomfortable. <laughs> but you know, that shows that he's building the defense's case that what his expert witness said is real. Uh yes, the defense is wrong, <laughs> which is a great line. Um after this, he, uh, they step down to find out that what Mona Lisa said was true. They call up Sheriff Farley, who comes back with some evidence showing that two perpetrators were picked up with a 357 Magnum for with a Buick Skylock that was basically, um, I'm sorry, a Pontiac Tempest, which is basically confused with the Buick Skylock. Another car that was picked with two other people that actually shot, did the murder. Uh, we find out that the sheriff that was used that picked up these two criminals was actually a sheriff that helped with the filming. So they gave him a little shout out in this uh, <laughs> scene, which I thought was pretty cool. cool. That is. Uh, we get the ending where they're asked if Mr. Trotter would like to continue. And he says that due to the recent evidence, defense dismisses all charges. Vinny thinks he's going to get arrested as they try to run out of the courtroom. Uh, but we find out that his old, good old friend, George uh, Judge Malloy, made up a fake extensive resume of Jerry Callow. Um, one of my favorite parts about this to, uh, tone is that Vinny tells his cousin, Ralph Macho, he's heading back to New York and later in the same year, he was in New York, lost in New York for That's Home Alone right. 2, which is funny. But uh, we get a happy ending and Vinny and Lisa argue in the car as they go off about their wedding as he wants to marry her. Um <laughs> yes, Brian. Uh, can anyone say Skylock without uh, saying her accent? No. And I think that's what really like pushed like her character is so great. Their accent, it's not even a real New York accent, it's just like an exaggerated Very, accent. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> um the film basically shows a lot of legal terminology. I know I went over a lot of legal terminology here, uh, but it gives so it's a wealth of information as well as a great comedy. Um, so that's our film breakdown. So what do you think about it?
0: I'm saying it's a, it's a classic. I'm saying it's a comedy classic. And after us this dive, it's moving up very quickly into my comedy top, top movies. It's great. <laughs> yep. So uh, let's get into our critical reception and fan theories, my friend. Let's do it.
1: You know that fat cocksucker says I look like the Shah of Iran. Who does? Tony. I never got that at all.
2: So the film made sixty-four million dollars on an eleven million-dollar budget. This was Joe Pesci's first film as a leading man to make money. And Brian brought this up earlier. He was in the Super, and that film did not make money. I like the Super but did not make money. This is the first film as a leading man that made him money, so it was a win-win for him. Uh, Marisa Tomei, like we said, mentioned earlier, won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress of this film. Shortly after her Academy Award, um, a rumor started circulating around that Marisa Tomei had won by mistake because Jack Palance had incorrectly read out the wrong name. This is a highly unlikely occurrence, and this was proven to be a conspiracy theory because of what happened in the 2017 oscars when warren betty was given the wrong card and faye dunaway mistakenly announced la la land as the best picture when the actual winner was moonlight the error was corrected and telecast in about two minutes Mm. so that theory even though it was a bad look for the academy when the moonlight um, la la land issue happened it kind of shows that she deserved to win the oscar for her role and like I said, she was phenomenal in this role. Uh, I was, yeah. you know, it, it, she makes the film. I think she's a better, um, she's a better, you know, I think she's a better character in the film than Vinny, just because, but I love the dynamic and I thought she did a great job. Uh, Brian asked, better Machio Crossroads or My Cousin Vinny? I would say Crossroads. Uh, for Macchio,
0: he, for Machio. For Machio, yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: that's a film I would love to do a deep dive into eventually. Uh, underrated film um but yeah that's so that's basically the Oscar that she won and then she would go on to lose the Oscar when she moved <laughs> but <laughs> she would eventually find it which I thought was hilarious a total vers uh as far as the critics Roger Ebert gave the film a thumbs up but he only gave it two and a half stars because he believed that Macho was wasted. And my argument to that is Ralph Macchio is not really the star of the film. He's no. plays, a, plays like a side character. And I found it interesting that his partner, Gene Siskel loved the film and gave it a higher rating and praised it with a thumbs up. Um, but it's just strange how they, inter, you know, they viewed the film differently. Uh, this film is actually like you mentioned earlier, Tony. it's praised by a lot, bunch of law schools. The American Bar Association's publication, the ABA Journal ranked this film number three on its list of the twenty-five greatest legal movies, uh, the Gambini's cross-examination of Sam Tipton with the great grits, Ernie Crane with the dirty windows, and Constance Riley with her glasses, over, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, represents technically the competent impeachment of a prosecutor's witness. Overall, the film does an excellent job through an abridged stunt of representing the criminal justice process. Uh, Lawyer Maxwell S. Kennedy wrote for his blog, Trial and Litigation, the movie is close to reality even in its details. Part of why this film has such a staying power among lawyers is because unlike, say, A Few Good Men, everything that happens in the movie could happen and often does happen at trial. Professor Alberto Bernabe of the John Marshall Law School, who hands his students a list of law movies organized by the category, puts Vidi under education not because it provides the material you can use in a classroom. I mean, because it provides so much material you can use in a classroom. For example, you can use the movie to discuss criminal procedure, courtroom decorum, professional responsibility, unethical behavior, the role of the judge in a trial, efficient cross examination, the role of expert witness, and effective trial advocacy. The film has been praised by the Seventh Court ju- uh, Circuit Court Judge referenced by Supreme Court judge Anton Scalia and made it even and made it into a legal textbook. So this film has such a big impact on the legal world. It's phenomenal and that I love, you know, that it was written from a person who wanted to find as much the legal information as he could in Lawner, The Lawner and Jonathan Lynn who's a former lawyer wanted all the scenes to be as authentic to a courtroom as he could and they paid off, man. This film is, you know, loved by the legal community.
0: Sure is. That's what I find to be awesome about the movie is that it's not only a great movie, but it, they use the authentic, authenticity of what is necessary.
2: Yeah, I have a trouble saying that word too, my friend. I know. <laughs> Um, the the funny thing is, Tom, there was a Bollywood <laughs> Bollywood oh. version of this film. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce it because I don't I don't know how to say the words. But it's basically translated to the guy is fearless, and it was directed by Ravi Chopran and starred Vida Lara Dutta and Samushmita Sen Chopra, and reached out to Fox in 2007 for the approval to produce the remake, and was given permission to make a film loosely based on the original idea. But in 2009, Fox sued them for the company because they said the remake was not approved, and the script review showed to be a substantial reproduction of the U.S. film with a identical storyline. <laughs> uh, they were basically. Uh, Settled with Fox paying the studio $200,000. <laughs> to me, it's funny. Uh, the film is so popular in pop culture, it was actually mentioned in football for Deflate Uh <laughs> Rudy Giuliani is the only person who has randomly referenced My Cousin Vinny during a press conference, which he has done, which is kind of funny because Rudy Giuliani is going through his own legal issues right now. But um, Bill Belichick said, I would not say I am Mona Lisa Vito of the football world as he said, when asked about his, his football pressure, uh, when she heard about this, Marissa Tomei texted Joe Pesci and they both thought it was pretty funny about that. Belichick would mention her name and my cousin Vinny when referring to knowing about football pressure. <laughs> so that's, uh, it's like I said, this film is big pop culture. There was a planned sequel for this film. Uh, a sequel was a skills discussed where Vinny Gambini would be practicing law in Britain. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, Marissa Tomei did not like the script and she dropped out of the project, and subsequent attempts with another screenwriter to create a suitable story with her character went nowhere, to the point where their proposed film was canceled. However, in 2017, mystery writer Lawrence Kelter began a sequel novel called Back to Brooklyn, which has the further cases of Vincent Gambini as an attorney with Melissa Vito serving as his investigator. Uh, This was intended to be the first of the My Cousin Vinny novel series, which is intended to be essentially a modern working of the class Italian-American version of The Thin Man, a mystery series from 1934. So that book, I actually found it on Audible. I have an Audible subscription. I use one of my credits to purchase it. So I'm going to listen to that when I get a chance. Uh, What do you think about the sequel possibility?
0: um again you know she's not in it i don't know if we're really you know we're 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 in airplane 2 i'm sorry out there not larry caddyshack 2 type of territory of non-great greatness in in a sequel possibly
2: yeah i would like to see if launer wrote a good script where like Vinny's practicing law and something else happens that would be nice but she has to be in the film yeah um i think it's kind of been just let you know let sleeping logs dogs lay they lay i lie, you know just leave it the way it is uh uh last thing about the pop culture airplane 2 was a gem <laughs> the pride says airplane 2 was a gem uh <laughs> but the natural
0: academy award-winning film is just so god-awful right <laughs>
2: horrible film, horrible film. now no, um so the funny part about this is <sighs> I'll go and show fight.
0: That'd be great. Like he just appears.
2: <laughs> yeah, so you see him like on a chair shot in the back? <laughs> he's like like um, Freddy Krueger when uh, it's Johnny Depp. This is your Brady on drugs. and He's yes. in like some of the frying pan. Yes. Yes, right. uh, but the funny part about this is Joe Pesci actually reprised his character of Vincent LaGuardia Gambini, and he did so in a form of a musical album called vincent langoria gambini sings just for you tone have you heard this album
0: uh actually no but you know me and my old musical podcast I, this might be a good one to do it deep
2: dive so um
3: or a it's, soundtrack it's, it's not
2: a great album it has one song bad. that's actually pretty decent and it's called wise guy
3: Ooh. Uh,
2: and it's him basically talking like he's it's a, him rapping basically <laughs> Uh, if you want the music video is actually available on uh, YouTube
0: oh, I'll and be watching
2: Frank Vincent, who from the Sopranos mm-hmm. and Billy Bats from Goodfellas is actually in the video oh, with Joe wow. Pecci. Uh It's pretty funny. You should check it out. Oh, um, wow. it, yeah, it, it's funny that he did it. I actually listened to it when it came out because I was like, what is this? And it made me laugh, but definitely check it out. It was on um, TRL, I think, for, for an episode. <laughs> Somebody requested it and he it's just That's it's good. just weird to see Joe Pesci rapping, even though he is a singer. Um, so we have one fan theory, Tom, and I want to know what you think about it. So this fan theory is from the the universe of Reddit from Shadow Ops eighty four. He says, I believe that Sheriff from My Cousin Vinny is Daniel Simpson D Day from Animal House from Animal House. He says they played the same, they played by the same actor. But Sheriff Farley looks the right age to be D-Day 30 years later. Also, the epilogue to Animal House states that D-Day's current whereabouts are unknown. And the last time he was seen, he was driving away in a stolen police car. D-Day clearly disappeared and created a new identity for himself, much easier to do in the 1960s, moved to Alabama, and became a law enforcement officer. (laughs) What do you think about that, man?
0: Right now, I want to do the part from Animal House. He's like, (laughs) <laughs> but uh man that i actually out of all our fan theories it's a pretty cool one because yeah think, i mean but like again you know it's 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 you know it's i don't know but it's cool i like it
2: yeah it's a it's uh it's not completely out there it's it's plausible yeah. so yeah uh, that was a good fan theory uh there's some of these films are kind of hard to find fan theories uh so like especially like the biopics but uh that's actually a really good one um so final thoughts on the film. So I know we went through a lot of information. I know uh, I spoke for way too long, <laughs> uh, but what's your final thoughts of the film? Like did this whole review make you want to watch it again? Did you want to make you do a uh, more in-depth analysis? Like now that you have more in-depth analysis, did it make you look okay. have a different outlook of the film?
0: Yeah. Uh, it makes me want to do a, a huge outlook. Um, I'm going to be watching crossroads when I get <laughs> off of here and I looked it up. It's on to be for free. Um, but back to the movie, I mean, Tomei Pesci, um, Bruce McGill, um, just to be honored to talk about Bruce McGill is it, I love Bruce McGill so much. Um, Fred Gwynn, um, Macho. again, just an all around great, great cast. Um, In high school, somebody called me. They said that I look like Ralph Macchio and Weight Gainer. So I've always had a really affinity to Ralph Macchio. So uh, Ralph um, and the rest of the cast, I think the movie holds up. And as a comedy, I think it's a little bit better than like a, a Jim Carrey movie, which I like dumb and dumber in that. But it's a little more smarter, as you stated, the way he's able to finally get ahead on the trial while not getting in trouble or figuring out who he really is i think is, is key to the movie
2: yeah i tell i just couldn't say it any better uh i totally agree with you one of my favorite films uh definitely uh, a lot of like said, a lot of legal stuff in it but very entertaining it's one of those films that it is a slow burn but very very entertaining i've been told i look like a young <laughs> too. <laughs> brian oh my god brian um but that is our film breakdown we went through the development a film breakdown and we went through critical reception and fan theories for my cousin Vinny. So my cousin Vinny is in the can, but uh let's go into our final little segments here and let's talk about what's coming soon.
3: Let's get ready to rumble. Coming soon.
2: Proximamente.
3: Coming soon.
2: Coming soon. Coming soon. So my man, what is coming soon tone?
0: All right, well, we got coming up here for the next two weeks is we're going to, well, we're going to talk about some Oscar stuff coming up. Um, This next week, we're going to pick some Oscar years and we're going to have some fun with it and pretty exciting stuff. Um, As we go throughout the week, we'll kind of explain what we will be doing. Um, We're going to pick five specific years and kind of, as, as you were stating, you know, we're going to kind of, you know we're going to kind of say some of the more like the as you stated what the uh the uncan like what are yeah. the
2: uh, unexpected oscar winners yeah.
0: uh, so we want to look into maybe some things that we didn't think would win and then ended up winning and or or, or things with that one that we
2: thought should have you know somebody else should have won There you go. Uh, so we'll be uh we'll be picking and there'll be in different categories it will be five totally different picks from each of us we might some who knows we might actually pick the same year for one of them um But yeah, we're going to go through that for the Oscars. And then eventually we will have a uh, Oscars, um, basically an Oscars. So, you know, our picks for the upcoming Oscars on March 10th. Um, So we have actually, we actually have some shows that are actually kind of lining up coming uh, that are, I don't want to give away our next show after our oscar breakdown not this one but the week after our oscar breakdown because that one's going to be a fun one and it's something that a movie that me and you both love <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh but yeah we got some uh some oscar good oscar talk coming in the next two weeks and then uh we have another great show coming up after that um but since you know what's coming soon there's only one more other segment to go with and that's the sugar baggy soundtrack pick of the week The Sugar Baggies Soundtrack
3: Pick of the Week.
0: Well, we're going to jump. Well, first, I'm going to quiz you here. I'm going to play a, a clip, and I'm going to see if you know what it's from. But this is kind of a little bit of connection to something that we were talking about, a little bit even further down the road that's exciting that you're looking forward to. But this, what's this from? You might not know it. It's, it's okay if you don't. Here it is. Do you remember what soundtrack Hole doing Gold Dust Woman was on? If you don't, um, we're talking about uh, down the road doing The Crow. This is the follow-up soundtrack to The Crow City of Angels. Not as good as The Crow 1 soundtrack, but still. Uh, White Zombie doing I'm Your Boogie Man. Um, that one kind of stuck in my head. You got Hole, You got Filter. You got PJ Harvey. You got Toadies. You got Iggy Pop um, again. Again nowhere near as strong as the first one, but for some reason, um it was after Courtney Love looked like she didn't look like she did on um the other album she cleaned up a little bit. And you know, celebrity uh here a little different gold dust woman. And what's ironic was is I was just like in my head, I'm just like City of Angels, the crow. And you know, we'll never be possibly talking about City of Angels, but why not talk about this soundtrack? Check it out.
2: I actually like that City of Angels. It's not that bad. Um uh, Iggy pops in it too, which just makes me laugh. Yes, yes.
0: Uh, so, again, um, I do have to rewatch it because I did see this one in the theater, and I don't think I've seen it in twenty-something years. So,
2: yeah, it's not for sure. the original. I mean, what oh, if we talks to Brian? The original is horrible, but it's uh, it's uh, not the original, but it's not a horrible rendition of the crow. I think the ones that come after this are are oh. bad.
0: The one with what's his name is really bad. Uh, I Evermore, I yeah, that. That was, yeah. So Johnny was, Corville. His name was Johnny
2: Johnny Corville or something. Was that was of so so,
3: bad, so bad.
2: yeah. But uh, the one thing that is consistent with the films is they have excellent soundtracks.
3: Yeah,
2: um, so I will check this out. Actually, I'll uh, I'll look this up and see if I can listen to it on Apple Music. Do it. Uh, uh, but good pick, man. Um, Thank you. So that is our show for the week. I know we went a little long on this, but I mean, I got talking about my cousin Vinny and I love the film. So I continue to ramble. But if you guys like the film breakdowns or you want something to change with the film breakdowns, let us know at the, at the show pod on Twitter. Uh, be sure to check us out on the statistic penguin uh, We have our blogs Uh CPG just released a great thing about Cody Rhodes. Uh Tony is killing it over at the on Music. He just went live every Wednesday. He had a great guest with Ruhan Luke. They talked uh Pearl Jam. You guys talked Eagles. You guys talked um, um all sorts of music, man. I, I love that episode. I was oh, listening to it while I was here.
0: It was I, a really, really good time.
2: Of course, yeah, Luke had to get a little bit of talking, a little bit of the dead in there. <laughs> you know, uh it, it was a it was a really good you know, episode. Uh just two guys chatting. Uh, make sure to check it out Luke's gonna be releasing something with the college football scene also check out Brian's uh beginning draft pod he just did a great episode picking the wrestling's worst gimmicks and that was a fun episode with Dougie Fresh from the uh, Chicago sports Bombs, as well as uh our good friends Shankster one of our biggest supporters on there uh who else is on there oh uh and our own CPG carpunk punk guy uh fellow penguin who uh did a great job on it that was a good fun episode so we had some really good uh stuff this week uh we have some more good stuff coming uh soon so be sure to check us out on the website and check out our youtube Uh, as disopinion youtube uh be sure to like and subscribe there um any closing thoughts tom
0: uh you know what's been in my head since last week this Stay and fine. honestly i'll I'll shout out to brian um i've been nothing but listening to the los lobos versions of the richie valen songs and he is right they do they do really kill and they're really awesome and that's a great soundtrack too so honestly um this whole next week it'll be my cousin vinny in my head until we see you again so thank you so much everybody
2: yeah thank you so much everyone you have a uh, good night and we'll be back next week with some more oscar talk
3: for listening to the at the show podcast
0: a sadistic penguin studios production
3: game over man it's game over what
1: the fuck are we gonna do now what are we gonna do maybe we could build a fire sing a couple of songs huh why don't we try that